So you're telling me that successful podcasts are made in heaven? Okay, I watched this movie this morning. Yeah. I already don't really remember what you're Basically talking about. Basically the last line of the film. It is the thing right. that is okay. my okay. virtual background on yeah, the Zoom right yeah. now. When Cameron okay. Diaz and Ewan McGregor are litigating whether it makes life more or less romantic, that love is a bureaucratic act commanded <laughs> by Dan Hedaya in a white office. The whole car, you're telling me that successful relationships are made in heaven, not founded on the daily practicality of two people being prepared to tolerate the imperfections of one another. And he responds, it's not successful relationships, Celine. It's love. And it comes from a strange and wonderful place that we don't know about. And that place is an office. Can I confess? I was yes. I was feeling a little exhausted at that point in the movie. By Just this a, a little movie? bit worn out. A little bit. By this film, you're also. This is also the top quote on IMDb. I'm just going to call you out right now. Oh, absolutely! I opened up the. I, yeah. You know what? I didn't even open up the quotes page. I scrolled down to IMDb where it always gives you the preview of the first quote, and I went, yeah. "Why? Why dig deeper? Yeah, why not? Yeah, do uh, that." David, this is arguably one of the first examples of the modern wave of slow cinema, right? I would say this is kind oh, of yeah, a, right. This is like watching a train go through Norway for twelve hours. Definitely, yeah. I was surprised no that James Benning didn't here. direct this. Yes. I have to yeah. say, I think it was too slow. Too slow. And that's coming from me. <laughs> yeah. I also just wish he would have made some choices. It there's nothing about this. You don't feel <laughs> Danny Boyle's fingerprints anywhere. It's like he's asleep at the wheel, the thing's on autopilot. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. Throw a little style it's into just, this thing. Yeah, it's just it's real four quadrant stuff, just trying to be everything to everyone, you know, lacking very in personality. That's the <laughs> yes, number one thing yes. I'd say it's lacking in is any sort of distinct esoteric <laughs> personality. I mean, even the soundtrack is just so typical. Was there a soundtrack? I don't even remember hearing a single song in this movie. <laughs> I guess All you're right. right. Yeah. It's like in one Guys, year out the other. A, a sarcasm is the lowest form of humor. You know, that's what they always say. Just just going to yeah. point that oh, out. Oh, is it really, David? Oh, is it, oh really? it's the kind of thing oh, someone would is say it really, in a 90s movie. Hmm. Huh. Uh -huh. Huh. Huh. Do people uh -huh. say that? Huh. Really interesting. Uh -huh. Could I be podcasting anymore right now? What, what, David? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Introduce our podcast, please. I'm waiting for a guest. Just our guest obviously has permission to interject at any point. Oh, that's right. I didn't right. know that. I, I, no, I, yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why talk. I thought I had House to be rules. introduced. I no, because people always here. think like they have to be quiet, but you Too don't. Polite. You don't have to be you quiet. Don't. Yeah. You can just burst. No. Out. Well, you know, there's just so many podcasts where there's 10 to 15 minutes of just catching up and then the sort of stumbling into remembering yes. there was a guest. So yes. I was ready for that. I'm actually appalled that we, you haven't gone yeah. on and on more. No, no, no. We do the opposite, which is uh, 30 to 45 minutes of stumbling into remembering that this is a podcast, but we God. do that with the guest. Oh, I'm we so remember glad to be the along guest. for this ride, just like the ride. We, we forget what movie. we're doing. Yeah, what the point sense. of the show is. But I'll makes tell you what the show is. It's a uh, blank check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. Um, I want to really do something. I want to reveal. Yeah, I want to reveal that recently, um, a friend of mine watched Rachel getting married, and then texted me that she was listening to our episode about it, 
mm-hmm. and said, well, you haven't really talked about the movie much yet. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I mean, how far in are you? And she's like, an hour and 25 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> well, yeah, well, may- maybe we're about to start talking about the movie. I, I don't really remember that one. But uh, <laughs> so I felt, I felt a little embarrassed. Like, yeah, no, that's uh, horrifying. I do feel like we talked about that movie. Maybe that episode was eight hours long. Listen, I think the episode this- might be pretty long. I think so, too. This is an, it's uh, a podcast, live, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. yes. Sorry, it's a podcast. Yeah, it's a podcast about mm-hmm. filmographies. <laughs> Directors who experience massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want, and sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. This is a mini series yes. on the films of Danny Boyle. It is called Train Spodcasting. That's right. It sure is. Today we're talking his first bounce. Without question, yes. <laughs> a pretty, a pretty classic bounce. I think this was a real sort of '90s blueprint bounce of you are like uh, an indie breakout director or a foreign director who gets the siren call from Hollywood, and they go just do your thing, but with right. bigger stars and more money. And yep. then everyone goes, "Never mind, we hate your thing." <laughs> And the question sort of becomes, was that person a one-trick pony? Did they get swallowed up by the studio system? Do they need to get back to the core of what they were doing, or are they done? Look, this guy has one of the most classic early arcs mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. for us, right? Yes. The, o- I, the only thing I'll say is, it's weird that he bounced into a bigger bounce, right? Yes. Yes. But then also you could say the beach actually, which is his next movie, was actually less of a bounce because it actually did make money. Like it was, it was not well regarded, but it actually, it did kind of, it did okay money wise. So maybe it wasn't yeah. as you know. Um, yeah, you're for, you're forgetting one thing though. Yes, you are right that yeah. technically that movie was profitable. It was also the first Leonardo DiCaprio movie to be released after I know. Titanic. I'm, a, I'm aware of the, the highest surrounding the beach all time. I, I well, no, the Man in the Iron Mask was right. Man, in the Iron Mask comes out six weeks after Titanic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, no, it comes months, out, but yeah. It's beaten at the box office by Titanic. It is successful, but it's also like you are. What this is box office one hundred and one. We all know this. If I ever talk about this next week, we'll we'll talk about next week. The point is, I'm just saying the only way this movie, of course, isn't really a bounce is that it actually didn't cost that much money. It just cost more money for him, right? So, but did but it like made it back? It made it back plus like a dollar or something, right? Yeah, you know what? And they probably. You know, they shorted Hawaiian, you know, shirt futures and they probably made some money on that or, whatever. you know, Hollywood's always up to no good. But um, I would be surprised if you found out this movie was 50 percent uh, funded by Tommy Bahamas or, or exactly 100 yeah. percent. Or so, just the state of Utah, just sponsored yes. by the state of Utah Tourism Bureau. <laughs> Look at all the places there are in Utah. Yeah. Exactly. Have fun with this, guys. You know, it's a, doors open. But um, you are correct, it, especially in that sort of thing of like. Buddy, we love your thing. Come do, do your thing. Just do your you thing. Just get, come on. Canvas is blank. Yes. Oh, you want to do some weird? Oh, yeah, sure. All Angels of it. in an office. Yeah, right. yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Same, mm-hmm, It's like the same mm-hmm. power trio. It's not even like, buddy, no. you do your thing. But hey, you know what? Bring in some new blood. We don't care. It's like, oh, no, you, you're going to bring the same powerhouse that gave us these other two movies. It, it like, is, well, you guys know yeah. what you're doing. You're a well-oiled machine. They were the three musketeers. It was a proven, like, sort of machine. Uh, 
I I also just watched it this morning for the first time. David, Ben, and I all only watched it this morning for the first time. Uh, I in my in my sort of like mind had thought this must have been some movie where the siren call of Hollywood comes for Danny uh-huh. Boyle. And they go, here's the script we have. You can do whatever you want with it. I did not think or for whatever at reason. Least here's the classic 90s thing. Here's an indie comic book we found. Or yes, here's right. some random property. You know. Right. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was squirrely Scottish Dr. John Hodge just cooked this up all on his own. I was just like, yeah. this was their failed studio movie where they were asked to take over something that had been in development for a while. Not this was their fully generated thing. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely thought there's no like my memory of it. I had invented a memory mm-hmm. when I started watching it. I did see it. I have seen it before. And uh, right. by the way, I just want everyone to know that I was asked to do this movie after I listed all of the other this Danny Boyle movies this that was I wanted a poison to do. Pill. I'm just going to pause you for one pill. second to say, of course, our guest today is Jana Varney from Legend of Core and JV Club, the great Jana Varney. Hi, everybody. Who you told me how much you love Danny Boyle. <laughs> and then you punished me. Yeah, I did. If you love him well, so much, why don't you do a life less ordinary? Why don't you do that then? If that you was love the him so dare. much, mm-hmm. why don't you marry yeah. this movie? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I said pretty, pretty I, please, but I did say you did, you did. I triple And I had not you. seen it in long enough that I definitely <laughs> thought, like, you know what, maybe my voice in my head got very like in <laughs> yeah. my head my voice was that shrill. Maybe I love this movie. Maybe I don't think it's I good. Do, maybe I do love maybe it. Maybe it's a secret masterpiece. Yeah, and I started watching yeah. it. I was like, I really had that moment where I was like, oh, of course, yes, this was a this was a novel, and they there's a lot going on in the novel that makes sense. And then of course, you know, they had to cut down the movie right. for time, and it's all they there had to compress. And then and so I was like, hmm, let me just do a little research. And I was like, oh, oh no, there's a novel and an indie comic that comes after the movie. After it was after adapted the movie. into both, but. <laughs> I think both of those things were in the works before the movie came out, right? Like, I feel like, like yeah, oh, but David, I, David oh, yeah, Bishop, in, right, was like, oh, yes. I, got, yeah. ooh, I got my hands on this thing that hasn't come out yet. Like, I'm going to make a serialized comic, just like, you know. Yes, no, that, anyway, that go was, ahead, but that was also them being like, oh, the train spotting, the yeah, soundtrack was so big, early, and everyone had the poster. The Let's have shit ready to go. Yes. Urban Outfitters shelves are going to be stocked. Everyone's like holding their scissors merch. ready to give the Ewan McGregor haircut. They're ready. Yes. They're poised. It, I mean, look, we've just done two hot young Ewan movies in a row where my takeaway was what great hair this guy has. Yeah. Both like perfect Shall- feather. Shallow grave shallow and train spotting. It's true. And the buzz cut. And then yeah. this, I'm mm-hmm. like, he looks so fucking annoying. I want to punch him in the face. It's it's weird. And and you when you see it early on, I do feel like you see it from the back to a degree that you're like, I got to pause this and have a conversation with myself about whether this is a wig. Like, yeah. I need yep. to have this conversation. Yeah. And I started out confident that it was. And then as the movie went on, I was like, I wonder if they shot the first part last and that was a wig because the rest of the time it feels like it's his hair. And somehow that's worse. Yeah. I Has his hair ever looked bad in another movie? No, like, I think it's kind of hard to mess that I guy's hair up. I can't yeah, think of he's one. He's got yeah. good hair. Like, that's part of his 30-year career. Right. Even, like, Fargo, where they try to make his hair look bad on purpose, it looks better than this. Yeah. Well, it's still, like, kind of mm. dorky chic, if memory serves. But this is, like—no, this is tough. And this is—and then I also had to have that conversation with myself. Like, 
was that what we were doing then? Like Cameron Diaz's hair is very familiar to me. I had that sort of pixie cut that's like a little overstyled. And you tell yourself you've got all this like good stuff going on. It's reminiscent of, I think there might be a cranberry song in this. Uh, No, it's a cardigans. (laughs) The cardigans. Similar, similar. Um, But where like, you know, there was the, that sort of short pixie kind of edgy like this was definitely my hair for a period of time although I don't think I ever curled it into that sort of weird bouffant that they give her um early on but yeah so, so that felt familiar but his hair was like I really had to th- ask myself like was that was going on in like Edinburgh or like well, where all the cool movie no. like music video directors had did they have that it hair feels was that like Oasis? a butchered version of Oasis yes yeah. that was my thought the whole time which maybe that's the idea of the character, right? Is that he's this sort of, they needed to make him a schmuck, but he still had to be like a cool Danny Boyle what? schmuck. So we'd have schmucky Oasis hair. Yeah. Uh, all right. I just, one, I want to defend Oasis because their hair was never that bad. I sort of know what you mean because I guess they had these kinds of, you know, 90s mop tops. I guess Liam's and hair mullet, did get it's that mullet also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's the closest. But really it more feels like they're like, Let's try this. Maybe this will be everyone's going to want this in a year. And then, you know, there were zero people walking into the barbershop being like, can I have a uh, Ewan yeah. McGregor in a life less ordinary? Like that happened to create zero times. <laughs> the Rachel for men. Like, you're right. Uh-huh. I think it was an aspiration it to create layered. a haircut. Yes. There's a lot of layers. It was like a mini Rachel. Yeah, it's complicated. That the sort of uh, dance uh, dream karaoke sequence, he like slicks his hair back, and in this final direct address to the camera, that's my background right now. And you're like, well, I could watch this movie yeah. if he looked like this the entire time. Yeah. This film would be fifteen percent easier to watch immediately. Fifteen percent generous, okay, but yeah. all right, easier to watch. I'm not even saying better. Yeah, I'm saying yeah, easier, easier to watch. To watch. Understood. Understood. The hair is so much of the annoyance for me. <laughs> What about the shirt that I read that I guess is actually Gucci, but what? yet it's on him, the character of... That was the other thing, is that I had... Very early on, I was like, I know it's a book because they're really shoehorning in this charming, adorable Scotsman as a janitor in a large American like skyscraper. Without like This was written for someone else. This wasn't yes. written for a right. Scottish guy. Then you're like, John... Hudge wrote it, huh? So I guess it probably was written for you and McGregor. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of was, and kind of what it honestly. And we can, I got this in the dossier. They kind, he tried out an American accent, and they were just sort of like, eh, why don't you just be Scottish, and we're just not going to worry about it. That that seems yeah. to be how it went, which I get. Yeah. That's one of yeah. the better things about it. If he had had an American accent, I mean, we've heard him do it. He can do okay. But the Scott, the Scott, all, like, let me ask you this, Griff. What if he had the mm-hmm. right hair that you like, but he was American? Would that negate that 15% for you? I think I Definitely. would. I think I would take that trade off. Okay. No. I would. And we've no. said. David is no go. He Ma- is a no go. McGregor tends to oversell mm-hmm. American accents. Yeah, that's my. His American accents make my teeth hurt. It yeah. would be annoying, especially in this era. At this point in yeah. his career, it would be an annoying accent, but I still think I'd take that trade off. The hair hurts my teeth. <laughs> the, well, I mean, to be fair, the hair also hurts my teeth. I can't, I can't deny yeah. that. I'm pretty sure this is, yes, 1997 is the same year that Ewan McGregor was also in an iconic episode of ER where he plays a guy who holds up 
a convenience store that Nurse Hathaway is in. And it's like, wow, oh, you're in the store the that. whole hour. Do you guys not know about this? God, iconic episode. No. Where he also has this haircut. Oh, don't say that. He also has this haircut. And he's that Janet, you should watch it. You'll love it. You'll love okay. it. It's the best. Okay. Um, and he also is like doing a Scottish accent, I'm pretty sure, for no reason. So like Maybe whatever he just he just loved this hair for a year because it's really he's speech. doing a Scottish accent if he's Scottish yeah he's just talking oh, oh he's <laughs> but that's what I mean he's right he's, good point he's just sure. not uh he's but like it's in Chicago but it's just sort of like well you know he's, um, sure. he's Scottish for some reason don't worry about it they get all just like the Australians and the Kiwis they get all over you're gonna run into Scots people everywhere. Like, you know, as as in this, there's no scene of him being like, and that's when I left Scotland for here, <laughs> you know, and that's why I did that. You know, like he just and just, that's why we really go bother. back to Scotland. Yeah. At, the, at the, end, the end, I wear a kilt and we buy an old Scottish castle, which, you know, go off. <laughs> like, nice work if you fine. can get it. Yeah, sure. I, right. I'm pulling up. <laughs> Uh, photos from this ER episode and the hairstyle mm-hmm. is very similar but somehow it doesn't upset me in the same way it doesn't it, you're right it's better styled even though he only had you know whatever the the the, the t one one week of tv filming to get it right or right. i don't know it, it feels like good. the exact same cut but whatever product they're putting mm-hmm. in it in the life less ordinary set is like satan's cum it is yeah. like uh-huh. some unholy goo Satan's, yeah. It's, that also you know, manages to that... make it puffy and dry, though. I guess that is what Satan come. Satan's come would be puffy and dry. So <laughs> it's right. both like too flat and too fluffy. Um, it's sad that Ewan doesn't have an Oscar nomination. It's kind of wild. This could have been it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> this could have been the one. This could have been the one. Moulin He's Rouge was got... the one I remember yeah. feeling Moulin rude Rouge is at the, the time. Yeah, right. that's probably the closest he came. That and he she lost just sort of got all the attention on that, and and it felt like everyone kind of took him for granted when he's really, really good in that. Yeah, he's his good singing. In it. He has a good. Yeah. He has a great singing voice, just Incredible. like Cameron Diaz. <laughs> just like Cameron Diaz. It's the same. Might be might be the cutest part of this movie. My, what is. is adorably charming to me is that you know there was a conversation where Cameron was like, "Can someone else sing for me, dummy, please?" Dummy, and he was like, dummy. "No." You're going to do it, and it's going to be adorable. You're awful, and yeah. that's one of the most relatable, charming things about you because, you know, you're very beautiful, and uh, and, and this is a very unlikable no. character. So let's get, let's you know what? Be yourself. It's also funny because they dub her in The Mask, and that's I was her introduction say, sing, as a movie star. She sings star. in The Mask. It's one yes. of the most iconic movie, instant movie star moments. And She's Prince. dubbed there. Yeah. Does she, does she sing in My Best Friend's Wedding and sing badly? There's, this, uh, yes. there's a lot of yes. singing in that I think she does, movie. yeah. That's the now that you bit, say right? That. There's the wedding character. And isn't that theme. also, is that 97? I think that's 97. That's the same so year. So she's, she's duo bad singing at events in movies. And Janet, it is the exact thing that you just Absolutely. said, except it works in that movie. They talk about yeah. it where the whole bit is she signs her up for karaoke to embarrass her. Yes. She does the song. She's horrible. That's it. That's the scene. And right. then the bit is Dermot Mulroney is more charmed by the yes, fact that she's. That's right. Right. It, it like it works in that movie. I think it works in this movie. Kind of. Uh, they don't make as much of it a works, beat out of it. It works for me because it is. It's. It's. There's very little to hold on to with her, and whether yeah. it's incidental that she's a bad singer or not, like sure. I grab for it. Do you know what I mean? I grab yeah. for it. I'm like, yes. oh, oh, look at that. Uh, how lovable, how non-psychotic. 
This character's a little <laughs> bit of a disaster. She does also, I want to acknowledge, sing in The Sweetest Thing, where she does the penis song. Of course, there's the penis song in The Sweetest Thing, but... Uh, which is well done and kind Janet's of the looking of that off movie. to the middle distance, trying I'm to trying, recall. I really am. I'm stroking my. The sweetest thing is that the one with um. um, 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 um Some no, Blair Christina Applegate. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he yeah, gave where it they away. do the Sorry. thing. Sorry. The thing. This was a very famous thing. Like, oh, look yes. at my arms. Look at my arms. Yeah, that that was another. You know what? Well, I'll say this. Not unlike Train Spotting, that was a movie that was just sketches stitched together. Yep. That sort of you're like, well. You found you found a bunch of funny moments, kind of, and you know you slapped them together and put a loose plot around it. Obviously, it didn't have the benefit of having been written as a book by you know Welch, but um, there's there's a parallel to be drawn there. There's there's, but I don't remember the penis song. I don't know how I don't remember it. But the I penis song it. is is definitely the moment to remember. So you should yeah. I've made, check out I've, the sweetest thing again from the director of Cruel Intentions. Um, but. Uh, no, other one. My final Cameron singing question. Sorry, uh, does she sing in Annie? Surely, or does Miss Hannigan not sing in Annie? Is it one uh, of those? Miss Hannigan like, sings in Annie. Excuse me. Yeah, exactly. So what the hell does she, I? I have not seen the modern seen remake of Annie. I don't know. Either. Does she sing? Okay, no one's good. Seen luck right. filling also Carol we, we, Burnett's. Yeah, you can't. Don't even. They yeah. should have just. They should have retired that role if they were going to make a movie. I understand that it's a successful musical and goes on everywhere all over the world. However, it would be funny to remake Carol, Annie and just Carol not Burnett. have Miss Hannigan. That 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 would that'd be a pretty big hole in the movie. She's so Carol Burnett should have won an Oscar for that. Did she? No, she didn't win an Oscar no. for that. She no. that movie was that movie was a bounce in its era, but it's an amazing movie. In my opinion, uh, Cameron Diaz is credited on the soundtrack. That having been said, I know that movie is uh, very auto-tuned. I remember well, that. I remember them posting Across a number the board. that's very auto-tuny. Yes, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Basically, everyone but Jamie Fox sounds like T Pain in that movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Cool. We cool. all know exactly what you, we all know what that means, and we yep. all heard it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And T-Pain actually uh, plays FDR in that movie. He does. <laughs> I don't know. I know that. I know FDR is not in it. <laughs> I know it's yeah. set in modern times, but still. It'd be funny if he just showed up and he was like, I'm Franklin Roosevelt. What do you want from me? Um, this, is a good, this is a good segue, though. I have a quick question for you guys. Because mm. you say you know when Annie takes place. When is heaven in this movie? Like, what era Great question. is heaven? And what era... Do our angels, played by Holly Hunter, Adore, Lindo, where are they from? Like, wh- because I don't feel like where they come from, like, do they return to Earth in the in the f- form that they best remember because they lived in the 40s? But the but heaven is like the 60s. You're asking more questions than some people who worked on this movie asked Janet Varney. That's all I They were say. living. They were human at one point. They I were believe human. so. That's sort of Double the idea, says right? That. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so. And you know how like heaven has all of the heaven has that hierarchy and it has like you know police precincts and yeah. thieves yeah. and sex right. workers that get a ba- bad rap and Gabriel's got we, the corner. We, we all office. agree that's what heaven's <laughs> yeah, like for and, sure. As we all know, uh, the archangel Gabriel, who in, in the Bible like carries a flaming sword and announces God's will to men, then made this lateral move over to guy who's in charge of people falling in love. Like, that's, yeah. that, that was his second act <laughs> in the <laughs> celestial world. 
Why he was like, you know Gabriel what? I'm sick of being the, 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 yeah, the damn boss who's yelling at everyone. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fuck off, Cupid. Uh, it's so bizarre. I, I texted David like this movie is insane. And he went to the degree. It's one of those things where for the first five minutes, I thought I had put on the wrong the movie. The wrong movie. Yeah. hundred percent. Because the last thing you expect is for this movie to open in no. heaven. No. I throw this movie on and I think I just was not paying. I assume Ewan and Cameron's credits appear over a black screen or something or i missed them or whatever because Mm -hmm. the the second i started watching i just saw this footage of heaven which is a white yeah you know 60s office building police precinct whatever everything is white and the credits are rolling like holly hunter delroy lindo ian holm and i'm like is this just like another movie did like itunes break (laughs) like they just start a different movie because that sounds like a cast from a movie like that sounds it like definitely enough. sounds like a cast from a movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like it's like who's in that? Holly Hunter, Ian Holm, Delroy Lindo. I'm just like, yeah, okay. That's how. Yeah, you know, th- those yeah. could be the stars. That's fine. Like in the canon of movies in which heaven is represented in some way as bureaucratic, while everyone is wearing white, have you mm-hmm. talked about any of those yet? I can't remember. Like, so have you talked def- about defending like, your life? You know, is an obvious uh, or like yeah. stay is 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 there's a, like a is heaven can wait? I can't remember heaven which ones involve heaven, but everyone wears wait. white. Defending uh, your life, everybody wears white, right. beautiful robes. Down there's buses to Earth, and trams. The heaven can wait remake sort of turns it more into a nightclub. Is my memory hot? Great, okay. more Beetlejuice. Okay. Great, got it. But it's Chaz Palminteri, right. Eugene Levy. It's a little similar to this vibe. It is. It is funny how it is always like, you know what sort of 40 something 50 something nervy character actor because that's funny yes. right oh chas yes. palmentary got even more oh it's so running this place oh, it's exhausting heaven yeah. ain't easy yeah ain't easy so you know dan hedaya is the archangel gabriel i you know Classic. looking at, at files going like divorce divorce you know like i was into that i was briefly intrigued have have i ever said this on mic that I realized during the pandemic that Dan Hedaya lives like in my neighborhood, hey. like like a ah. block away from me. And there's like a local place I, I go to and I was eating outside and he like walked up to get takeout. I saw him walk out of his building, grab takeout, walk back to his building. And it was like, early-ish lockdown, like summer 2020, and I immediately knew it was Dan Hedaya fully masked because of the eyebrows yeah, mm-hmm. and the full mm-hmm. fur collar of hair sticking Coming around his t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, it was just no you know, question that's, that's who it was. It's funny that you recognize him so quickly because he disappears into roles. He disappears. I don't know what you're saying, David. He is un. <laughs> there are how many times do you watch a movie and suddenly you realize halfway through, I've been watching Dan Hedaya. Man of a thousand voices. I didn't even voices. realize it. What a chameleon. <laughs> yes. And yet somehow, Griff, you were able to see him in a mask. That's that. You're like, no, that's savant stuff right there. You should not have been Truly. able to recognize him because he's unrecognizable most of the time. Who even knows what the real Dan Hedaya looks like off screen? <laughs> He's always in such deep disguise. Uh, yeah. This is this is one year after Clueless, right? Or two, two years after Clueless. Two. But this is, yeah. wouldn't you say this is prime? In fact, you know what, Griffin? Hidea mm-hmm. is not just in this movie. He's in another movie that came out in 1997 that Danny Boyle was supposed to make and dropped Alien out Resurrection. to make this. Alien mm-hmm. Resurrection. Oh, Did you yeah. know that, Janet? 
I did not know that. I did not know okay. that. It makes out to make so this. much sense that they wanted Danny Boyle to do Alien Resurrection. Uh, it makes the most Wait, sense what? in the world that, mm-hmm. yeah, when they were like, we're queuing up Alien 4 and they're like, who should we hire? The guy who made Train Spotting. There you go. Like, that's exactly, uh-huh. you know, like, uh, you know, he's he's just, they always would hire because it was Fincher. And then before that, James Cameron, yeah. you know, they'd hire like the guy who's yeah. about to happen. Yeah. Who's like very visual and uh, like who whatever had just made something exciting, like Mm -hmm. like, I guess is the easiest way to put it. I'd love to have heard the hipster soundtrack if if Resurrection had been Danny Boyle. Like that is a good point. Yeah, massive. You're yeah, you're lucky if sneaker pimps are like part of the tearing, (laughs) rendering and tearing of flesh. Like Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Griff. Obviously, he was going to make Alien Resurrection, right? Like, he was going to direct mm-hmm. that script. It's mm-hmm. the same movie. Yes. So, I, would I like to see that his take on that movie? Like, eh, kind of. But, like, I mean, I do feel like he probably was right to sort of smell disaster there, right? Yeah. It's just funny that yeah. he then jumped to this. But I think it, I think it would have been a better movie. Yes, I did. I got a soft spot for that movie. I got a soft spot Me for that too. movie, and I got yeah, and I got a soft spot for the beach. In terms, as long as we're talking about uh, movies that followed or right around the same era, and the people we're talking about, um, I well, let me say this: I have a soft spot yeah. for the first three quarters of the beach, and then zero tolerance for the rest of it. Like wow. as soon as he starts to go crazy, uh, quote unquote, go crazy, I'm like, I'm good. Um, which is really just one part of the movie. And I don't I'm not saying that movie is good, but um it's so watchable to me. It's so that movie's pretty good. watchable, you know? That's a movie where I've never really understood why people call it like shit on it as much as they do the beach. D- David's a big you know, defender. A I like. have yet to see it. I'm excited to watch oh, it for I think this you're podcast. Like it. I, think I think I think probably you're gonna will. Like, I don't you think, David, that he's gonna like it? I think you're gonna like it. I think I, I think, think I you will like it. it. It's a flawed movie, but like it's interesting. And it's honestly the same for Alien Resurrection, which we watched during the pandemic on this podcast. And I said to mm-hmm. Griffin before it started, and you'd seen it before, Griffin. And I like hated a long time it when ago. I saw it. Huge Alien yeah. fan. I had only seen it once, maybe, and I hated it. I said to you, even though this movie is like an early CGI, you know, gore fest, it has so many sets and enough puppets. I think you're going to just like kind of like it. And that was exactly your reaction. Yes. yes. I like it. I like it. And I like I like the I like that that they were like, you know what? We're going to try to make this monster like we're actually going to try Mm -hmm. to make you feel about this monster the way the Sigourney Weaver feels about about it. And I felt it. I that felt was my it. big thing. I was I, like, I love you. I love you, I, I you love little the slimy baby. Alien. I like yeah. I like the newborn alien. Yeah. I like the newborn too. But uh but anyway, yes, that no, but Janet, that's a good uh segue or whatever. Uh, you know, you, you love Danny Boyle. You love yeah. you love you, you apparently adore most of his movies. So I what's mean, your relationship to Boyle? Like what's when are you first watching a Boyle? Well, I mean, the thing, I mean, I definitely was like train spotting was very, was a very well time for me because I was like, I had, you know, some friends who were super into kind of 
Brit pop, like Brit DJs and Brit pop and the sort of like beginning of that kind of ravey stuff that was that started to happen in the late 90s and early 2000s. And not friends who were into heroin, hopefully. Not not friends who were into heroin. Well, uh, there might have been the a, there might have been a friend yeah. or two who was into okay. heroin, but uh, and so I I think it I found it at a time, and I don't think I saw. I mean, I didn't see it in the theater; I was too young. But or, I mean, I could have seen it, but I I I feel like I wasn't that cool. But like, it definitely kind of crusted in with the wave of me, you know, going to see like Jaw Digweed and stuff, and uh, living in San Francisco and being like. I totally get this. Like, I really get this. And um, and so I thought it was very cool and great in the way that when you're younger, you think movies where you're like, oh, you can make movies like this kind of works. Um, but if, but through his career, I've I've always loved his sort of like, I mean, it's kind of Soderberghian, the like, I don't know, maybe I'll do this kind of movie now. Yes. Like, let's good, try this. Like, call. I don't know. Might work, might not. I enjoy the sort of like casualness of that, that... They're, like I buy into it. I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not a big deal if this doesn't succeed because he was trying something or whatever. Um, but but I think throughout the movies, even as as disparate as they can be from one another, I feel like he finds like like heart and sensitivity amid chaos in a way that I really like. And I think this movie does not have very much of that at all, <laughs> if any. And that bums me yeah. out. That yeah. bums me yeah. out. The biggest problem with this movie is that the characters are annoying. And in uh, doing our episodes on Train Spotting and Shallow Grave and reading all the things he said about both of those movies at the time, he talked about how little he cared about the idea of characters being likable. Yeah. And that he didn't feel the need to conform them to classic sort of like Hollywood mainstream film archetypes and sure. arcs and all that and sort was of right. shit. And he's right. In those two movies, he is so yes, right. He is. They're yes, characters he is. who are pretty despicable, who do awful things on screen, and they are engaging. Yeah. You are compelled by them. You want to watch them endlessly. And this movie starts, and the second we get to McGregor and Diaz, because the, the Hidea, Lindo, Hunter opening is so bizarre, and all three actors are like in the pocket enough. You're like, I don't know where this is going, but okay. And yeah. then the introductions to both McGregor and Diaz, you're like, they are off-putting. Something yeah. has been miscalibrated here. Yeah. I am already annoyed by these characters. I don't and, want to spend time flat. with them. flat. Like, just yes. so, like, it's how can you be flat. so, how can you be, like, like shooting an apple off of Stanley Tucci's head and then shooting Stanley Tucci, as we come to understand, and still feel, like, just sort of empty and, like, and the same with, with Ewan. It's like, yeah, it just doesn't, there's nothing about it that, you have, there's nothing to hold on to even though you're supposedly seeing all this stuff. And I also, a thing that came up for me too, watching the beginning where you sort of just have this like, then this happens and this happens and this happens, then so his much. girlfriend's leaving him for an aerobics instructor and all of that that kind of stuff. I, I felt like there was this sort of like desire to have the whimsy of like Savage Steve Holland, you know, like yes. a little better off dead kind of like, whoa, yep. this is just crazy. What's going on? But once again, those characters in his films, you're like, I love you, buddy. You're such a wasteoid, but I love you. Like, yeah, you're you on still their side. love some. Somehow you love them, and it, it just there's you're you're really having to fight against. Like, I got you're I got nothing. You're giving you're not giving me anything. You know, even you and McGregor, who's supposed to be like a lovable loser, is like he makes the choice to pull a gun on people. <laughs> so fast that you're like, Ugh, you know. 
I do know. I yes, these these guys are pretty bad. They're kind of bad people. Like, uh, which is fine or can be fine. I'm tr- Griffin. What is the movie that this movie is aping? You know, obviously it's, this it's movie is incredibly question. indebted yeah. to the Coen Brothers. Like, mm-hmm. and Danny Boyle is first to admit that. But that's more kind of like aesthetically and the sort of you know, oh, criminals who don't have a plan thing. But like, what is the '90s disaffected Gen Xy? 20 something i guess it's just that mindset is it looking further back is it looking at like after hours or like something wild or some kind of like something wild is a good one what about true romance i guess that's like you know i mean obviously those are more unsympathetic characters they're more lovable but that movie's even further dialed up but something like that where it's like yeah but it's you know you're so along for the ride you're not even going to worry about how crazy these guys are right right? like what's that this thing is so much goofier too like he's doing sillier stuff consciously and then you add in the like the supernatural magical (laughs) elements of the movie It, it is kind of unique i don't know i mean watching this i kept on like the thing that is hard to process is that this is his third movie. <laughs> and Janet, as you're saying, like, a thing that's cool about Boyle's career arguably starting on the next movie is that he begins to become a bit of a, like, genre hermit crab and he wants to try and make uh, one of everything. And this is, like, the third and final time it feels like Danny Boyle is a genre. Yeah. The, like, Boyle Hodge McDonald thing is, like, yeah. all of our movies are like this. Right, yeah. and this is the one where they hit the end of the road, and they're like, "Okay, time to reinvent, time to like Griffin." Shake Griffin, it up. I hate to tell you that is not true because the beach is very much part four of the vibe. Okay, then it's I'm wrong. It's it twenty eight days later is the let's go back to basic true let's shake everything I mean, out yeah. of the car, like you yeah. know that kind of thing. You yeah. definitely, yeah, yeah, I agree with you, David. I mean, there's that, but but the beach still has like because it's you know like having robert carlyle sort of be he's like the mascot of like the old school that trio in the beach is sort of he's like pulling that along for you in a lot of ways but there's also like a lot of just very sort of slick music video like feel to that movie that but that isn't as choppy you know the beach is boyle hodge and mcdonald and the decision they make fair or not, is to cut Ewan out and Mm -hmm. take Leo because obviously Leo is where he is at that point and that's the decision that makes like Boyle and Ewan hate each other for years or whatever. And it's like interesting to think about that movie with Ewan but if that movie had Ewan, then it would really kind of feel like, man, do you guys not have anything new in the tank? You know, it would be (laughs) kind of like, okay, Ewan McGregor is like going crazy on drugs again? Like, you know, how many times do I have to watch this? We get Tilda Swinton. We get Tilda Swinton and if you get Tilda Swinton then you're like, Wait a minute! Like, there's something <laughs> happening here that's very like she's the head of an island. Full. I'm excited to listen to your episode about. I, I'm about excited the beach. to. Let me just say that. Do it. The thing that just surprises me is this movie feels like when you're talking about trying to distill what is the sensibility of this thing, what is it aiming to be? I just think this film feels of a piece with like a handful of '90s movies that were breakout music video directors and or commercial directors where people would go like, this guy's shit is so fucking kinetic and exciting. Imagine if you let them do a whole movie like this and then you watch it and the movie feels like a collection of music videos or commercials where like every scene has 87 ideas, narratively, comedically, visually, (laughs) musically. And you can only imagine how annoying it was on set. 
where the guy's right. like, all right, everyone stand still. I have to do this next setup. Like, you know, uh, you know, right. or whatever. Everything right. has to be like a special shot. And then you right. watch this and you're like, he has told a story successfully two times before yeah. this. He's done it. This feels like someone who has no substance in the tank when this is a guy who came out of theater. There's, yeah, there's a little bit of like a, like a, it's not, it's not like little kid uh, logic where it's like, and then, um, <laughs> and then a dragon um, comes out, and but the dragon's wearing pants. Like it's not that dis, you know, that's it's not that disjointed. But it is no, it's kind not. of like the teenage version of that. It is yes. kind of the teenage version of that. Like, and then I've always loved so and so. Like, let's throw some of that in. Like, you know, it's gonna be so much fun. It'll make sense. Don't worry about it. It does feel like a movie I would have written as a teenager. It certainly feels Me like too, a movie that I if think. I saw it, I was 11 when it came out, so I was too young to see it. Ugh. Like, But if I saw it at the age of 12 <laughs> or 13, I might have been like, no, man, that movie is really interesting. Like, you know, heaven is an office. And, you know, like I would be, right? And then, but at the same time, if I was, like, say, I'm a disaffected 25-year-old Gen Xer when it comes out and I see it, I would have been like, I, I'm I'm out. I, I can't watch yeah. this. Is, like, you know, yeah. I, this is yeah. this is it. My whole culture is is ruined. Like and yeah. now it just kind of feels like this sort of cute little artifact. It's, you know, kind of a failure. There's a little bit of stuff in it, but I really it to me it just I, the problem with the dossier griff, and we're gonna read is that mm -hmm. I think Danny Boyle is very quick to criticize himself. So I'm not sure. sure if there's more blame to pass around because he's mostly putting the blame on himself for what doesn't work about this movie. But uh, it just kind of feels like no one was like, hey, buddy, this doesn't make sense. Like, hey, hey, yeah, hey, can we can we not, you know, like we got to talk about this more. It feels like they were kind of being given a little bit of rope and, you know, whatever. It was just it doesn't hang together at all. I'm interested to, to, to hear you talk more about what he said about it, because I stumbled on his sort of defense of it, which was like very much a defense that seemed to be taken out of the context of him like apologizing for it, apologizing for it, apologizing for it. And then the quote I read kind of like, but if it does have a redeeming quality, it's um, which he, you know, which he was like, it isn't it, but isn't this kind of the way falling in love feels though? Kind of like in a way, guys, who's with me? Doesn't it, this kind of have that energy? I, I was, it, it, sure. uh, it has never felt that way to me. <laughs> and I think if falling in love felt like this, I would be happy being single forever. Correct. That is the correct answer. I don't think it captures anything there, but I do agree with you, David. This is the kind of film where if I had seen it when I was 12, I would have defended it on the grounds of it being different. It's different. It's got stuff going on. It's, it's doing it's stuff. A little, Griff, it's a little less ordinary. It's, this movie you know? is so much less ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, no, no. Okay. All right. No. So, uh, obviously, it's a very... The other thing to say, Shallow Grave mm -hmm. comes out in theaters in the UK in 1995. Trainspotting came mm -hmm. out in 1996. This movie comes out in 1997. So, this guy yeah. is working all the time. Wasting And no time. it's a real rocket fuel career thing. And... That's why it feels even crazier that once Trainspotting is out, Hollywood is like, Alien 4, sign on the dotted line, you're, <laughs> you're doing this, right? We yeah. have a Joss yeah. Whedon script. He, 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 as Boyle said, he met Sigourney Weaver, you know, and she's like, all right, you know, so everything is happening. And the way he puts it is Excuse like... Excuse me, that's the, not what he said. He said he met Sigourney Weaver, which was absolutely a buzz. Such Absolutely a good Danny a Boyle quote. <laughs> really, is. you're right. 
<laughs> he's a sweetie pie. Yeah. Um, what a buzz, I'm sure he said to her. And she was What like, a buzz. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yes, the way he puts it is he, he realized the franchise was transitioning between old school physical stuff and effects and stuff to CG. And uh, he's in retrospect, he's like, maybe I could have been the guy who's like, let's not do CG. Let's try and keep mm-hmm. this as practical as possible. But certainly he couldn't throw his weight around back then. And also, I think back then he didn't know how to really direct either CG or complicated puppetry no. visual effects stuff. So he's kind of like, what am I doing here? Right? But it is you know, funny like, that all of his quotes about why he left the movie just broke down to the technical stuff. He was like, right. I don't do effects and I don't know how to do the puppets and I don't know how to do the CGI and they want the CGI. I probably would want the puppets. I wouldn't know how to do that either. There's <laughs> nothing he like talks about on any story level. He's basically like, I pulled myself out because I didn't think I was experienced enough in that area. Which, you know, Junet obviously had been working with really interesting practical effects from the start of his life. Junet does make Mm -hmm. more sense on that level. It's just that everyone who made Alien Resurrection is like, that guy didn't speak English, so I didn't know what he was telling me. (laughs) So that's the problem they they... (laughs) I'm great with it. I'm I'm glad that's what was happening, because somehow I enjoy the results. I I don't hate that movie. I do not hate that movie. But I I don't either. And it definitely does feel like a movie where people who the people who made it were not able to speak to each other. That is the best way to explain. I'm great with it. What you should we should it you should feel as weirdly alienated, pun intended, mm-hmm. as you know, just the stark uh, insanity of that movie demanded. Mm-hmm. And successful, they, they totally in that regard. Off. Yeah, but this, I'm like with John Hodge, and and I. This is a sincere question. Like, do you think it like it made sense to him the idea of like Gabriel and heaven and you know what I mean? Because there's, I don't. I, I, I'm like wondering if the original screenplay had more or something, if there was some, if there or, or really was just like, I don't know, like I had a weird dream that heaven, you know, you know, I'd, I had just watched Stairway to Heaven or whatever. And like I had a dream that this and then but it was this. Well, and that. they definitely like that movie. Yeah. Stairway to Heaven is influenced there. There's no doubt, which makes sense, obviously. I also known as a matter of life and death. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the weirdest thing is that that stuff was not originally in the script at all. What? Um, <laughs> which is when you learn That's that the you're framing like, device they felt would save this. It just feels like a weird thing to sprinkle in, but it basically <laughs> seems like that's what they did. But like, uh, what anything. Did, what? So what did, wait, so Holly Hunter and Delroy Lindo weren't there, like, they being, were, like, they weirdly were showing John Hodge up takes and... out his typewriter. Page one. <laughs> where, where does this film come from? <laughs> so here's the thing. Okay, so. While Danny Boyle is weighing, should I do Alien 4? John Hodge mm-hmm. is like, here, I've written a new script. It's called A Life Less Ordinary. Danny reads it and is like, well, this is more my cup of tea. This is more, these, you know, this is Andrew and John, who I've worked with. So I'm more comfortable with that. And he just hops right over to that. And uh, that's fine, right? John Hodge had been working on this script apparently since he started writing. Um, and so he sort of picks it back this up was after train spotting. This was the thing he was noodling with pre train spotting. And then he comes yes. back around to. Yeah. Yes. Huh. Um, initially, the script was set in Scotland, right? 
much okay. like his other scripts. Okay. I like what I'm hearing. It was more straightforward. Gra- the way Boyle puts it, it was uh, more graphically violent. And the Holly Hunter and Delroy Lindo characters were not angels, but human bounty hunters or detectives. And I'm going to complete this Boyle quote here. Moving the location to America, toning down the violence and introducing the angels made it into a completely different film. We made changes to it that were, in retrospect, a mistake. <laughs> Because otherwise people might be saying it was a Scottish Fargo. Like people might be yeah, saying that today. Think, they might be like, it was a Scottish true ram- romance or a Scottish. Exactly. It was, it was a Coen Brothers movie. It was, you know, that it was yeah. like him writing like uh, a Scottish set inept criminal romance thing. You know, like it was very, it sounds like it was kind of riffing on, he is you know, right. raising Arizona and all that stuff. You know, he's right that that did make it into an entirely different film. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen that movie because oh, we're so, you know what I mean? Like we don't mind if if somebody from a different country sort of interprets their, you know, spits back out their fandom of something and like it succeeds. We like that. We're not going to say it's too derivative. We're going to say, you know, it's a fresh take on a certain vibe. I, wish a- that would, I, I would like to see that movie. It, it's funny. My like mind's eye perception of this movie, not having seen it, but probably, you know, half remembering trailers and TV ads from when it came out. I always got this confused with Excess Baggage, which is the same year and feel mm-hmm. incredibly similar to me, where it's like sort of popping stars on which the cusp. I don't, I don't, I, I feel like I can't even it's think It's also about a kidnapping movie, right? It's Benicio it's like, Del Toro and Alicia uh, Silverstone. Benicio uh, is the dirtbag. Alicia is the um, bratty, rich teenager. Okay. Right, okay. and I think that one is she pretends to kidnap yes. herself and then he Correct. actually kidnaps her for real. Okay. Something okay. like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Everybody was super into kidnapping. Yes. 1997 kidnapping. Got right. to get a, a couple sexy stars tangled up in a kidnap. Yeah, and, and they're you know. both like them with cars and hip soundtracks and shit. Um, and I absolutely was certain that Delroy Lindo and Holly Hunter were just bounty hunters in this movie. Right, but um, no... Instead, they took a script that existed, <laughs> and I guess I don't. The, my the, Boyle does not explain who came up with this, but it's clearly someone was like, "What if they're angels sent on a mission from God?" I guess, right? Like, you know, like because like the, I don't know how else you would describe it. Like, you have to point at those characters. The stakes are their boss Gabriel <laughs> is so angry about the amount of divorces that they need to make these two random people fall in love, or else. They are cursed to be mortal and sent back to Earth. But don't worry. There's a literal deus ex machina at the Mm -hmm. end. Like, maybe that's where it started. Ooh, what if that's what happened where they were like, we don't love the ending to this. We really need like a mm, deus ex machina. And they were like, wait, what if we just did literally that? And God made it so that a bullet could go through you would like how was it supposed to end otherwise? In this, this case, ending feels kind of like there's a hole of light. There's a hole of light constructed, and Danny Bull's like, but if God is involved, maybe then the ending feels less ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> right? Maybe that's it. Right? Maybe they're just like, well, we can't really square this third act unless literal celestial bodies are making it happen. Yeah. But the other thing, of course, is they decide to move the action from Amer- to Scotland to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Boyle says that's the home of road movies. We probably should have stuck with Scotland and France. Apparently, there was some stuff in France. But we'd done two films set in Scotland. We wanted to branch out. Uh, 
And apparently the original script had lots of severed heads and crazy violence. Seven heads in a duffel bag? Uh, maybe, yeah. And then they found out there were eight coming soon. Oh, so they... Embarrassing. <laughs> exactly. um, the way the way Boyle puts it, uh, I am very proud of Ewan and Cameron's work in A Lifeless Ordinary, but it's bedeviled by the Coen brothers. The shadow they cast is so colossal. They mix violence and comedy in a way that's really unpalatable, but they engineer it so it's effective. And I think Boyle is basically just like, I couldn't pull it off. Like, I tried and he's, failed. Yeah. Like he, and he's not, he never, this tone does not leave him. Obviously, he makes very comic and zippy movies, but it does kind of feel like he's like, yeah, I took the swing at their thing and I realized that's their thing and I can't do it. I don't know. Right? I don't know if I can commend Cameron Diaz for performance. I'm not I, sure I, I can get I there, but can't either. I, we're gonna have it, we're gonna have a Cameron Diaz conversation. We're gonna have a whole Cameron to. talk. Yeah. There's a big Cameron sidebar <laughs> okay. coming up. But but I don't. I also don't think that like that's the problem. Agreed. With this movie is no, like, well, I tried no. for the Coen Brothers and I didn't get the tone right. And it's like you were adding eight other tones to the mix. Yes. And you were overcomplicating the script to yeah. the high heavens. Including to the high heavens, like including yeah, yeah, high literally heavens. going it, it, to the literally high heavens. Yeah. the highest of heavens. Uh, uh, this is all. Uh, this is from. Okay, here's another thing. Apparently, Danny Boyle had basically never been to America. He okay. his only concept of the U.S. was from movies. So he went on a ten day solitary drive across the country, stopping in small towns to chat with locals. Uh, he would hang out. I want to see sh- this movie. Absolutely, I, I this kind of better. would like to see it. Baby Danny Boyle just popping into local stores, and being like, "Hello, you know, <laughs> you're all Americans, then." Um, <laughs> uh, appa- apparently, um, they would hang out at a Salt Lake City pub called Spanky's while they were shooting this movie because they cool. shot this movie in Utah. And uh-huh. Danny and Ewan would shoot pool, you know, around or just with the locals and all that. So they had a lot of fun. They they went on basically they went on a nice vacation to to Utah. It's kind of kind of the thing. Um, and then, of course, the other influences you might spot in this movie, Danny Boyle's two big other influences, Stairway to Heaven, a.k.a. A Matter of Life and Death, is, is one, and It mm-hmm. Happened One Night is the other. Another famous road trip movie, obviously, you know, with bang, bang, quick fire dialogue. And that's where the, some of the madcap comes from, like, yeah. Sure. All that stuff. Um, but, you know, I never know what to make of it when someone, when I talk to a filmmaker and they're like, yeah, I was thinking of, you know, two of the most totemic movies ever made. You know, if you say right. Matter of Life and Death and, and It Happened One Night, I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. We'd all love to make those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. great. Okay. Like, you know, like what happens if, you know, it's the same thing. Like, you know, I'm going for a Blade Runner vibe with this. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look at you, let me know how that works out for you. You know, it just, I just, I get, I get, you know, you want to acknowledge your influences or whatever, but it's, it's tough to compare yourself to these things. Especially if it's the same one movie that everyone tries and fails to make. Like, it happens yeah. one night, remains, it retains its status because it is so deceptively hard to pull off. Right. Uh, yes. Right. Yes. But I did. I didn't. I also read that Stairway to Heaven was like directed by McDonald's grandfather. So there's a there's an actual correct familial connection from that movie to this movie. Yes, Andrew in, McDonald, in Andrew is, McDonald. The, is the 
the grandson of America Pressburger, uh, Danny Boyle, says he never brings that up, so we do it for him. Nepo grandbaby. Which, which is funny. Um, and, uh, you know, one, one last lovely quote from Andrew McDonald is, one lesson I learned from my grandfather and Michael, Michael Powell's work, is that they had this core group of people they worked with over and over. Uh, and he's saying this in the context of like, you know, Ewan and Danny can be like oh, no. De Niro and no. Scorsese or Mastriani mm. and no, Fellini. that's so sad. And it's like, it is sad because they do lose that connection. Obviously, they eventually made T2 together. But like, it is, it's sad to think of the alternate universe where they just keep making movies together because God bless Ewan McGregor. He's had a great career. But he made a lot of shit, you know, in the in the 2000s as well. Like, it might have been good to have Danny Boyle to go to every three years, right? And do something new. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it definitely, it makes sense, or, or it makes more sense now why Ewan took getting bounced from the beach so hard. Yeah. Because yes. it, it was not yeah. like, oh, this is one movie where they went with a bigger star. It's like, I thought we were in this together right. for the long we were all run. doing this together. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, they were young. They're making these movies so quickly. Like I said, yeah. like, it's hard. Um. Anyway, so A Life Less Ordinary is uh, opens in heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the doesn't yeah. close in heaven. Don't worry. It closes in claymation. Uh, that's true. <laughs> And not five seconds of it. A good couple of minutes. (laughs) Um, In heaven, angels are in charge of making sure that mortals find love. Now, look, I know I hear a symphony by Diana Ross and the Supremes plays. Good song. As we go through, right? As we we said, angel precinct, basically. You know, I no know title Cupid, card, by the way. It's just white, and so we're able to kind of surmise it's heaven. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but you're saying it's not like heaven, comma. 1995. Right. Um, You know, angels, I don't think of angels as being in charge of people falling in love, are they? No. That's not a thing. Once again, we have a figure. His name is Cupid. Yeah. There is a mythology built around this. He's a little fat Greek baby. That's who Cupid is. Right. And he's there. But like angels are supposed to like protect you maybe, right? It's kind of like a... You know, you're wobbling on a bridge. It's the guardian angel thing. Even if in this reality we're accepting that angels get people together, like, this is happening in a police precinct. Like, there's nothing about what they are tasked with doing that fits or makes any kind of sense in, in any kind of context with what we see as we're tracking them coming through. What we see looks like a police department where everything's white, there mm-hmm. truly is like a scantily clad, lovely young woman with like pearls and lace that's white, you know, and you're like to understand you're meant to understand like, OK, she's maybe in the sex work trade. Um, so something going on there like, you know, there's people I feel like there's people being booked for stuff. So it's not yes. like there's not that that doesn't then allow you to go, oh, I get it. Angels are responsible for people falling in love. Like that doesn't help us. Absolutely. They have nothing to do with one another. It doesn't and, and, make any goddamn sense. They don't <laughs> help. Dan Hedaya yelling is not going to be enough to get me over the line on this concept. No. But also Gabriel is like the don't shoot the messenger angel, right? Like he's right. sort of the go between between yes. God and humans. But in this, no, he's like the middle manager between God and other angels. 
Yeah, are yes. we in the romance wing of heaven? Is every office here dealing with some different petty bureaucratic? Um, this is starting to make sense. I like where you're going with this. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Though? Like, is this just the love division, or is this every assume... room would be a different thing to take care of? <sighs> Again, you're you're asking more questions than I think people asked while making this movie. Sure. I just think there's more in this movie. There's more just a thing of like, what do you mean? They're magic. What do you want from me? Right. They're magic. Yeah. I mean, look, Griff, Michael, the Nora Ephron film, that's yes. around the same time as this. And uh, that kind of has the same idea, right? He's kind of, he needs to make people fall in love, right? Uh, yeah, there's sort a of? quote here where he said... Uh, they were concerned that Michael and uh, the preacher's wife were coming sure. out so close together. A lot of that angel movies. There was this movies. 90s wave of angel movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he was like, our, our movie has sex and guns, though. I think we'll be fine. You're fine. You're fine. Yes. I mean, that that definitely is not the thing they had to worry about. That's for sure. That's I, at the time sure. of filming, both Michael and Preacher's Wife were causes for concern, but our film is less pleasant than either of those. <laughs> Plus, we have guns, sex, and swearing. It's a McDonald quote. He is right that this film is less pleasant than those. Yeah, sure. Do you think Touched by an Angel also was... Because was, that was a big thing, right? People yeah, were kind of obsessed was. with that. It was also... It was down to Roma Downey and Dan Hedaya for that part. They were <laughs> testing <laughs> against each other. They should have been... No, the worry in with Michael was... Are, is, are people going to think back and conflate that and phenomenon and yes. think that the angel, the angel Michael learned Portuguese in like a day. Because that's what happened happens. to me. Yeah. We covered Michael on this show and anytime I bring it up to people, they go, oh, the one where John Travolta becomes smart and dies yes. of being too smart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> too dang couple smart. A couple of adorable magic guys all in one, John Travolta. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I would not even, I mean, I really wouldn't have even worried about that. Like, that uh, that's the least of your worries. The least of your worries is that you're afraid that this movie is going to be compared to those other two Angel movies. Yes. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. But then I, I want to just, like, I'm, I'm actually pulling up my Apple TV window to scrub through this movie to make sure I remember the order in which things are established. Good we life. go from heaven to Cameron Diaz in the pool yes. wanting yeah. to do her William Tell practice, Cause, right? Because the whole, the whole idea is that he's like, you've got to get some people to fall in love or else you're in trouble. And then right. he opens a file and he's clearly kind of like, oh, boy only the worst possible file I could be giving you. Like, <laughs> because but from then, up top, somebody did say at some point, like how much, how much free will, how much control is there? Like there is somebody above him who's like, that's why it doesn't take make this guy. <laughs> right. How much girl, magic are they allowed to use? Are they causing the kidnapping? What control do Delroy Ledger? <laughs> like, what are they, what are they in charge of? Thank what you. have, what have they met? How, what have they manifested here? That is here? my number one biggest <laughs> question. Is like, this trajectory is set and all they're doing is nudging a little bit. <laughs> because the construction of, oh, she accidentally shoots a guy. Her father is yelling at her. He's angry because he's being replaced by a robot. So he storms into the office at the same time. Like, if you told me, well, this is so manufactured. Angels, of course, forced this into happening. This non-meat cute. Yeah. I would believe it. But it almost feels like they're like, okay, good start. Thank God that happened of yeah, its own will. this was all going to for sure happen. Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we nudge it along? We're going to be, we're going to evict 
This is where it needs where these guys need help. Right. We got to get him evicted from his apartment. That is a must for this romance to work out. And it may not happen if we don't come in and evict him and take all of his stuff so that he then goes F- crazy. Fate was and always going to bring these two together, but they were going to hate each other. So now they have to make them like each other <laughs> while they're together. I am, I am more pro. Like, I like the Michael thing of like Andy McDowell, William Hurt are both just kind of like cynics, right? They don't believe yeah. in love yes. anymore. Right. And so if this movie is starting with you and being like, nah, I don't believe any of that crap. Like, you know, I, I'm never going to fall in love. And I'm like, okay, I understand the challenge here. Instead, it's like Ewan McGregor is quite romantic. He's writing fucking novels or whatever. He's most right? romantic, yes. Um, but he's just, I guess, an impulsive fool. And then Cameron Diaz is is a spoiled psychopath. Like, the, the, is that supposed to be the challenge? That they're just kind of awful? Like, yeah, they're I mean, too let's awful also just, people? Yeah. <laughs> let's set up very quickly, Okay. So uh, Stanley Tucci is one of her many suitors who is a dentist who gave her her great smile. Uh, I think he's an orthodontist, but I could be wrong. They, they call him Out a dentist several times. Out of respect to the industry. Yes. They call him a dentist, but they, Janet, they, they, you are correct that they say that he won't be doing orthodonty anymore. So mm-hmm. maybe that that's just like they, they just consider that a specialty. I don't know. It's the only thing in the script that doesn't make That's sense. That's very rude. It's they're not the same at all. I bet it, and, it's the one uh, thing that doesn't track consistently. It's the one thing. It's the one thing that doesn't track. Yeah, everything like, else in this movie hangs together perfectly. The Stanley Tucci thing is a disaster, and that's why it flopped <laughs> to the box office. Is it just wasn't clear what kind of dentistry he practiced? Cameron Diaz is practicing apple shooting off her butler's head after a swim, as we all do. You know, you know your routine. Also. Techno music is playing. We're essentially starting now in a jam sketch, the the, the British sketch show by Chris Morris. It's like mm-hmm. so specifically that kind of era music. Like, Absolutely. Danny Boyle, baby. That's what you signed up for. You put Danny Boyle, the helm of this baby. You're going to get that techno music in the right The soundtrack away. is getting three volumes at the least. Um, yes. But, but then, her, so yeah, Tucci shows up. Is, is like play- how many times? Oh, sorry. Who plays the butler? The great Ian McNeese. I just want to shout him out. I love sure. that guy. Still with us. Um, and yes, and Stanley Tucci is playing a whatever, cuck d- dentist. I How many really... times do I have to propose to you? She's really rich, obviously, is the Absurdly idea. rich. And right. and like and yet Ian Holm is kind of like, God, like, you know how hard it is to find you a good husband? I'm like, that's to just like a random off. dentist. You couldn't. There's surely yeah. other suitors for the hands of a stunningly beautiful blonde millionaire. <laughs> like, would that really be tough? And Stanley Tucci is basically like openly like, I want you as a status symbol. Yeah. She's, yeah, and she's sure. like, very pretty. I have this house. I don't need you. I don't need anything. Yeah. I got a butler to shoot. This was another moment. And again, this happened so quickly after so like, fast. so for the for the heaven part. I was like, oh, okay, this was a book. This was a mm-hmm. book. And then when that sort of disproved itself, then during that little piece that comes right after, I was like, oh, this is like um, uh, like a Jane Eyre, like a Shakespeare read. Like, a oh, modern she's a taming of the retelling. shrew. Like, yes. that's what this is. It's a modern retelling of an old classic. And then you're like, no, 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 no. That's also not the case at all. So don't try to be linear and don't try to find... A map. Don't try no. to map this no. on anything at ever, but that's not an achievement. 
It's not the, an achievement. The first five scenes of this movie arguably each set up a different movie. <laughs> yes. And feel like a different movie made by a different person, almost. I like where you're going with this because I f- I'm immediately feeling like Ewan McGregor is setting up a Jim Carrey movie in which, like, his girlfriend, who looks like a love child of Sandra Bullock and Barry Louise Parker, leaves him for an aerobics instructor and, like, yes. what is he going to do with his life? That's that movie right maybe like yes. a jim carrey movie but also uh, yeah and maybe like a nice girl like cameron diaz will walk into his life and there will be some kind of enchanted mask that they have to deal with <laughs> well, i don't like course. that kind of magic i need something grounded like a life less ordinary i yeah. do not want magic. realist a kitchen sink drama like a life less ordinary but, but cameron diaz basically says to tucci if you want to hold my attention, you'll put the apple on your head and let me shoot off of you. He flinches at the last second, which throws off her aim, and thus she shoots him in the head. In the head. And, in the noggin. Yeah. In the but noggin. It, it is his fault. Again, it is, it his, is fault. his fault. We're told that it hit his frontal lobe, which is mm-hmm. good, apparently. Thank God. <laughs> like, like they, they sort of say it with the, the energy of like a flesh wound and I'm like isn't the you frontal lobe in your brain like, it, this is it makes him a better mate for her though because I think that's where some psychopathy can come from after the fact if you're well, not oh, born sure, with it. you get right. a frontal lobe injury he's going to care as little about human life as she does so that might have been a match made in heaven his problem is definitely that he cares too much uh-huh. but then we, then we cut <laughs> right. to Ewan McGregor Ewan McGregor is in a basement janitor closet with two other janitors and he is talking to them about the secret child of Marilyn Monroe and John F. Kennedy who then discovers Nazi gold hidden in a secret spot only she has the map to and with the way the film is cutting I was like Cameron Diaz's character is that explains why she has this mansion. She's so the setup of this movie is that she is the daughter of John F. Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe, who uncovered some conspiracy and now lives off of Nazi gold. Yes, that is what he wants. That's, I think, uh, an adorable bait and switch. Yes, they thought they were doing. That everyone was going to be like, <laughs> what a moment when you realize that that's just an idea that you and McGregor's character had. This bad novel <laughs> idea that yeah. he won't stop pitching, which everyone is confused by. <laughs> and then like, knock, knock, knock at the door. You're fired. We're replacing you all with robots. With cleaning robots, which are adorable, I want to say. No, Those robots is, are cute. Mm-hmm. This is a movie about post-industrial replacing of blue-collar jobs. It's all yes. there. It's in the subtext, but if you watch the movie again, you'll see that that is, exists throughout, and that is what this movie is about. He is Thank ahead you. of the curve on this one thing. <laughs> like, for him to be expressing this concern in 1997 as a filmmaker, our jobs can be replaced by robots, feels a little still far off, right? And then you're yeah. waiting for, like, well, when they say robot, we're not. We're obviously not going to see the robot, and if we saw the robot, it'd be some proto-Roomba thing. No! It's like a little like beep boop boop R two D two robot kind of a laser thing. Kind yeah. of, yeah. yeah. It looks like a it's dog. a walking trash can with brushes. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a piece yeah. of shit. It looks like a piece of shit. But it's he's both he's both ahead of and behind the times because yes. that's also very sixties, right? That's like yes. in the yes. same way. Very the Doctor Jetsons. Who, like, Rosie. yeah, it's like yes. I'm going to be replaced by what our idea of a robot was in 1960. Which yeah, is which just is a sort sad. of human-shaped thing with eyes that goes beep-boop, but then, like, cleans the room. Yeah. But, like, Griff, there's... What's the movie where this works? Like, you know, 
Because like like we're sort of what we, and we're really concentrating on the first ten minutes of the movie because the first ten minutes of the movie are so busy with ideas. The heaven yes. thing. Cameron Diaz is this insane. Ewan McGregor, robots, novels, you know, like where like what's the like zany movie where it's like cutting to this every two minutes and you're like, Oh my god, I can't believe this is working or whatever. You know, like Sure. Yeah, falling down. Very, very lively it's, and this uh, is the funny romantic film. version. More likable characters. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, here's my question: After yeah. all of that, you have this confrontation where the the two plot lines meet. So, uh, Cameron Diaz is getting yelled at by her dad, mean old Ian Holm. Uh, about you know shooting about shooting a man in the head. And what does he do? What's his job? What is what does he own? Like, why is he so rich? Do we? It doesn't matter. Do they ever say a yeah. company? You he's know, a big. Some sort. He's a big muckety muck. Got it. Right. He's, right. A, he's a rich a, man in a skyscraper. We cut. Uh-huh. We tie the threads together. He's yelling at her for shooting the dentist, and then you McGregor comes in with the robot. But he's yelling at her in this way that the movie's like this fucking guy, and I'm like, no, he's saying, why'd you shoot someone? Yeah, don't shoot he, people. He's yelling, "Be normal." <laughs> and then Ewan comes in with the robot. You're not gonna, hey, buddy, and a gun, and saying you're not gonna yeah. replace me. Points a gun at him and shoots him by mistake. And we're off to this like, you know, zany adventure. He's gonna have to take her hostage, and they're gonna go on a road trip. Mm-hmm. So, in fairness, I think yes. he takes the guard's gun. He takes Maybe. the guards' gun. Oh, that's sure. right. Yes, gonna, that's where he gets he, the gun. He, he was just going to make an explosive statement. He was going to throw the robot out the window. By throwing the robot through work. the window. And then when yeah. he gets tackled, it gets it go, kicks up a notch because he gets his hands on the gun, which then he loses, which then Cameron Diaz gives back to him. And that's how the kidnapping idea yes. is born. And my point is, at this point, the movie actually slows down quite a lot. Yes. And is that better? <laughs> I mean, she then still learns how to drive within them. 30 seconds. Yeah, so, you've got like, it, but... stuff going on. But then it's really, it's the two of them stuck together and bickering and, you know, in a better version of this movie, falling in love in an incredibly charming way. And in right. the movie, I would say less that's less successful, but a little I, bit of that. The movie is at its most annoying when the two of them are only talking to each other. It helps yes. when there are other characters <laughs> thrown in. Uh, I, you know, I'm just I'm stewing on your question of like, what is the successful version of this movie? What is the thing he is aiming for? And I think the problem is he's kind of aiming for four different types of movies that are similar that mm. he's grouping into the same pot, but actually have distinct differences where it's like to a certain degree, he's doing like an Elmore Leonard, right? To a certain degree, he's doing Raising Arizona. To a certain degree, he's doing Pulp Fiction. Yeah. You know? And he's just like, well, you know, these like wacky ensemble sort of like hyper-violent crime comedies. Yeah. And it's like, no, or like a crime spree, but there's no right. spree. It doesn't stay. It's not them. It's not the two of them on the road together. No. Under the auspices of him having kidnapped her. Like, it doesn't consistently. It's not that. They rob a bank, right? They rob a bank. So there's the it does that feels like that movie sort of starts and then doesn't exist and then maybe right. comes back for a second and then is gone. I agree and, and, with you. And he's he's doing amped up versions of each of those movies separately and swinging between them. Yeah. Okay, so they're they're in a car now. I mean, it's, and their dynamic is immediately him being panicked and her being like, "You fucking idiot! You suck at kidnapping people." 
Right. Her immediate go-to is, I'm going to tell someone else how bad they are at being alive. (laughs) Yeah, guess what? You're bad at uh, not shooting people in the head. Yeah. You have your own problems, too. She also seems like she's about to... Bro- oh, no, I, we're have- I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I know we're having Cameron Diaz section, so I keep... No, 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 I go think ahead. Now let's the do time. it now. I think now's the now time. Okay. This okay. is it. This is it. We're okay. talking about the appeal of these two a- a- actors right now. Yeah. Yes. And I think Cameron Diaz obviously can be an incredibly appealing actor. I'm not like... Mm-hmm. I'm not about to debut some take that's like, Cameron Diaz, never been good. Like, I like Cameron Diaz No, no, I agree. Oh, absolutely. But, Abs- absolutely. but certainly, I would say... Griffin, you would I'm sure you would agree with this. Mm-hmm. She probably over the course of her career found like I tend to do better or my movies tend to hit more when I'm playing more of a lovable ditz bubbly, yes. you know, right, a sort of fun, energetic character and not right. kind of a flinty, mean, you know, sort of scary, you know, character, which well, is what she's doing here. Also, like she's Coming out of retirement now, Annie is the last movie she made, 2014, and then she's doing the movie back in action with Jamie Foxx now. Uh, She apparently only does Jamie Foxx movies now, but she has not been in a film in nine years, right? That's right. And she basically was just like, I got tired of doing it. I just, I needed a break. I didn't really want to do it anymore. I enjoyed my life. I had kids, whatever. That last run of her movies, she did start doing the kind of flinty, angry thing where she had the run of like bad teacher bad teacher was Miss a Hannigan, good yes a the good other woman great version yes, she did get to character. this point where she was like i understand i'm not a 20 something anymore i need to age into something else and she basically started playing like the woman who is bitter that she's not a bubbly 20 something anymore yes right that's well said yes absolutely. which i think she did well i think absolutely. she did well comedically but i think at this point in her career she understood that she's better it's so fascinating that this and my best friend's wedding are the same year and i feel people talk about when there's the constant conversation of like why don't we have movie stars anymore and so much of the answer is we don't have the pipeline that develops movie stars people get sucked into franchises and they play one character and their identity is tied to the one character and the ability to like intentionally build a career step by step doesn't really exist for people at least in movies anymore and i feel like i always will see people cite like Cameron Diaz is someone who did it right, where she has this huge, like, plucked from obscurity as a model breakout in the mask. She gets offered all these big studio movies. And then for, like, three years, she went to indies. She was like, I'm turning down all these studio films. I want to learn how to act. I want to do a bunch of small Sundance movies. I want to figure my shit out before I'm, like, thrust into being Julia Roberts. She has The Last Supper. She's the one. Feeling Minnesota, Head Above Water, Keys to Tulsa. Most of these movies don't exist, right? But it was like, here's a little quiet sort of ground for you to figure out what your thing is before you get chewed up and spit out by the system. And then 97 is her being like, I'm back to doing studio movies. I'm doing a Danny Boyle movie. Makes a ton of sense. And I'm playing the foil in a Julia Roberts rom-com. And then that's the one where I feel people are like, she got it. She figured it out. She is relatable. She is fun. She is so good in this movie. Uh, She's kind of like the key to it working. The choice to make it like, no, she is likable. She's not the villain. Julia Roberts is the villain. Yeah. Is like kind of brilliant. And then the year after this, she does something about Mary. And it's like, well, now it's locked. Superstar. Done. You figured it out. You're like star of a generation. Your thing is branded. But this is like the last movie she does before... (laughs) She figures her shit out, even though this comes out after my best friend's wedding. And we and it's not her fault. 
because because the character no. is a disaster and disaster. is a psychopath. And and I think like my compliment to her is that I don't buy her in this character at all. My compliment to her is that there were several moments in the movie where I had to pause it because I was like, she is about to laugh. Like at her most supposed to be despicable, there is, she is trying so hard not to break. And that's my perception of it. And and so it makes everything even more utterly unbelievable. Like, I'm sure she's not proud of, like, not sticking to being a good character or whatever, perhaps, if she has, you know, a sense of this performance. But for me, I was like, good for you. Like, good for you that you're like, I, I can't. Like, you guys know I can't commit to this fully, right? Like, I'm a likable person. Right. That's the thing. She's, like, fighting to suppress her natural effervescence, which is the thing everyone else at this point in time is identifying. That's her movie star superpower. Yeah. That's the quality. Like, I rewatched something about Mary again recently, which I do basically once a year. And that's, like, a performance that should not work, a character that should not work. The entire premise of the movie is hinged on her being a construction of a dream woman written by a bunch of bro-y straight comedy good dudes. Right. She's not a real person. And yet somehow she makes that feel like a real person. And the key to it is at the end when they do the Build Me Up Buttercup and there's all the sort of B-roll footage and bloopers and stuff, you're like, oh, this actually just seems to be her energy at all times. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's what she's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. And that's what she did in Charlie's Angels. And obviously in Charlie's Angels, they do a good job balancing that out with two other actors who are doing different, Mm -hmm. you know, things. Um, And then after that, I guess, is when she swerves into meaner mode because she does Vanilla Sky, Gangs of New York, Charlie's Angels 2, you know, mm-hmm. leave that aside. But In Her Shoes is probably the the most, like, sort of, In Her Shoes in the Holiday, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of the mid-2000s for her, like, she's playing, like, spiky characters in those movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, In the Shoes, she's very, In Her Shoes, she's, like, a real fuck-up. It's a good performance. I like that Really movie. good performance. Yeah, it's um, great. And, uh, and In the Holiday... It's kind of that Nancy Myers thing where you're like, on paper, this character is supposed to be, you know, abrasive. Because this is Nancy Myers, she's just coming off as like she just like oh. is breathing nitrogen instead of oxygen or whatever. You know, she <laughs> yeah. just seems addled because like yes. in that movie, she's just like, I don't know how to have sex, and you're like, oh, what? You've just so met you hard. Like, I someone I really like, really like, and really respect recently was like, and then my girlfriend, you know, and I watched The Holiday, and like it's surprisingly good. And I said, I don't think I've seen it and they were like you know what you should see it it's a lot better than you might think and i put it on and i was like this is the worst thing i've ever seen janet, <laughs> i can't i janet, can't watch it janet i can't janet, get through it janet oh no question do you like for the holiday you. we've covered it on this show i just we have okay. a question for you before we reveal our this opinions is the of great the movie. divide okay. this is a great debate we've had on this show going on for years and whenever yeah. this movie comes up i pose this question to our guests yeah janet which half of that movie i.e which romance do you think works better so your choices are take Cameron and Jude or Kate and Jack. Even if you dislike the movie overall, yeah. which do you think is the more successful? You have to remember that I couldn't get through it. So okay. I, 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 I think I, I might have made it through half. Okay, um, yes. So this is, I, that's going to be tough yes, for Kate and Jack, who barely interact yeah. in the first episode. She's mostly yeah. having Eli Wallach explain script construction uh, to her. <laughs> I remember that. I definitely uh-huh. remember that. I remember 
thinking that Jack Black was not playing a hum- a real human being. Um, so that was off, also very off-putting. And I like Jack Black. Um, but I, I remember thinking that he, I think that he, it felt like he and Cameron Diaz were in the same movie in that they were not. Interesting. There was no, nothing real happening. It felt very, uh-huh. both of those things felt like, I'm this character, everyone. Like, I'm on a stage and you're very far away from me and I'm being this person. Um, but if I, so if I had to guess, I, I would say... Probably Cameron Diaz and Jude well, Law, okay, but okay. I don't know what I'm. I, I, I'm not basing that on the whole. You're movie. on David's side. Is that correct? Side. I'm right. You're on David's correct. side. I'm on yeah. the right David yeah. side. Okay, crack of the bat. Got it. That's right. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, Cameron, thing I was gonna say because you're putting Vanilla Sky into the spiky territory, but I think what's so interesting about that performance, a performance we like, is that she's basically playing the like non-comedy version of the Cameron Diaz archetype where she's like seems kind of like amazing cool girl hottie and then you're like oh this person has like borderline personality disorder you know it's like the 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 trick to that performance is that when she rolls into the party she seems like fun impossible movie star yes and so Tom Cruise treats her like a prop rather than a person and then she comes back and is like I have feelings you have broken me um but but yes, it is odd. It does feel like she kept on trying to figure out how to play the spikier type. And then she kind of gets there by the mid-2000s. But the times she would try it earlier didn't work as well. And again, this, this, is, a, this is a perfect storm of also having nothing to work with. <laughs> just nothing. I, I've been watching a lot of Lubitsch movies fault. again recently, probably just because it was that time of the year and everything. Right. Um, but uh, watching them, I was just like, right, this is the thing that people forget when they try to make these types of movies is the dialogue is funny. Like people constantly try to do the shop around the corner thing where they fight for the whole movie and then at the end realize they love each other. And then they're like, why do people think this is like mean and unpleasant? Right. And it's like because they're not jokes. You're just writing two people yelling at each other. Right. Like there's nothing yeah. funny that the, either of them say to each other, really. No, the the moments no. that I that I thought were that I was like, like suddenly having a great time were yeah. like the one that stood out to me for sure was like just the bit of Delroy Lindo having her tied up and like not accepting. I mean, it's so goofy, but like him yes. not accepting that she doesn't want to hit on that blackjack game is so funny. And then the poem is like very funny, and it, it, you get to the point where you're like I. Wait, hold on. Maybe I've been missing this movie. Has this been has this been the movie the whole time? Like maybe this is, you know, Ben. You're, you're Ben. You're gesticulating. How Ben's are you feeling? The are guy you who barks. That's the one time I laughed. Uh, also, another different movie. Maybe my favorite performance in the movie. Maury Chaykin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh Maury yeah. Chaykin. He's so great. He is great. Them bringing him back is it works. You know what I mean. But what are all the examples we're talking about here? There is another to do with those two characters. There's another character entering in between the two of them, wedging in between. And then something that is circumstantially funny happens. There is no moment where their banter back and forth, which needs to be the lifeblood of this movie. You need the it happened one night. Oh, my God. I could hear the two of them throw zingers back and forth at each other all day thing. Because the other secret with those kinds of movies where like the burns that people are throwing at each other are funny is you believe that the characters would be charmed by each other because they are being objectively funny. Yes. You're like, even if they're pretending to hate each other and fighting, the things they're saying are funny. They will be amused by each other's wit. 
Whereas in this, it's just like two kids fighting in the back seat during a road trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can, hey, can I ask you a cool question? Um, what's Timothy Oliphant doing in this? Like, what's his he, character? Great question. What, what happened there? He's uh, playing a little yokel. It's his uh, second movie. Did and you know what that? What's going on? And what? And what? Character name of hiker. <laughs> the, there's there's the Timothy Oliphant coming, and that he comes right after. Christopher Gorham, who uh-huh. was a guy back then, you know, Christopher Gorham, you know, he was in TV shows and stuff, who's the the sweet gas station guy that mm-hmm. Ewan yells at and then Cameron correctly is like, why are you being mean to him? <laughs> he didn't do anything yeah. to you. Both of those scenes have nothing to do with anything and nothing. inform nothing yep. and yes. aren't very interesting. And even are more confusing for the character where you're like, wait, right. she's suddenly like Why down with the nice? blue collar dude, yeah, like sticking up for him. Sense. Like, I haven't seen that person show up. And this is a short movie. Oh, it's 144? Yeah. An hour. Yeah. And and like yeah. yet both of those scenes, I was like, there's a lot of fat I would trim here. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also Shallow Grave and Train Spotting are both 90 minutes in and out. The extra 14 yeah. minutes on this film are felt. They yes. are felt they feel padded um no you were we were texting while we were watching the movie this morning and you texted david this thing is character actor city i did which is yeah. a great way of putting it yeah. there was this golden age of the 90s where there was just an incredible bench of like hollywood approved character actors who would cycle in and out of these movies and these films would just every role would be filled with someone interesting yeah. and engaging 100%. adding a little flavor on top of everyone else that we've mentioned, there's also Tony Shalhoub pops this up. This is the one movie. I want to bring up. Yep. Tony Shalhoub, so after he finds out he's being replaced by the robot, Ewan McGregor goes to the bar where his girlfriend works, where her boss is Tony Shalhoub, and she then tells him that she's leaving him for an aerobics instructor. Tony Shalhoub maybe says one thing in that scene, speaks for half a second, and then doesn't come back until the very end. So when I'm like, 90 minutes into this movie, I'm like, did they really burn Shalhoub just handing a beer? Yeah. Is this movie showing off so thoroughly that it doesn't even feel the need to give Shalhoub a thing to do? Because it's you have Shalhoub, Gorham, Oliphant, like in a row, not really serving any function. And then Shalhoub comes back at the end, but you're throwing a lot of Yeah, he's got a fun, he definitely has, I mean, yeah, he he has a great, line i guess he has what i feel is presented as the best line of the movie i'm not sure i feel that that's the best line of the movie but i feel like it's handed to us by the film as like and here are you ready for it this is the best moment of the is go is it and then he gives up the speech and is like she's no she's your type you blah, blah, blah. like that you know but he does a great job with it he and does that it's Stanley I, I will say for as crazy as the whole Stanley Tucci character thing is I do love that it's him because I feel like they could have cast someone I mean it's it's such a weird choice that I like it Stanley Tucci. We're I'm all, everybody's always happy to see the Tucci. we all love a touch We're of the Tucci. Happy to see the Tucci. and yeah yeah and this is the year after big night he's mm-hmm. you know he's a guy but he's probably a few years from being Stanley Tucci still maybe I don't know yeah. like when, when is Stanley Treasure. Tucci Stanley yeah. Tucci Big Night was like was all about the excitement of them making that movie mm-hmm. right. and him being a huge part of that. But like just wanting to see him in everything, I think was a couple of still a couple of years yeah. or movies away. It, I think it you're right. Weirdly slowly, 
Yeah. It's, I guess it's Devil, Devil Wears Prada is when it goes from, you know, Stanley yep. Tucci is a really reliable actor to, is Stanley Tucci someone we should put on American money? Right, yes. like, yes. like yes. where we're like, yes. wait a second, Agreed. have we been sitting on a diamond mine? <laughs> I want to go to Italy so with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think right. that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. That's not, su- and that's not yeah. surprising that it's that movie. I think that's right. Because yeah, I mean, a couple years yeah. before yeah. that is like the terminal, and he's the mean boss, and you're like, yeah, Stanley Tucci's the mean boss. Yeah. Sure, I see it all the time. Yeah. It's fine. He, you know? he is inarguably the most interesting version of this character you could exactly. possibly put in that's this movie. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And when he comes back, you're like thrilled, because you're similarly yeah. like, it is you nice burn him back. just to get shot in the head? Which, again, it's like, what? No. What? She's shot him in the head. I mean, I guess, I guess we've sort of established that they have the kind of relationship where if she's on the lamb and right. her current whatever gets shot, that she would go to him. I guess we've established that. Well, like Cameron Diaz is basically coaching Ewan McGregor through how to hold her hostage. Yes. And then meanwhile, Holly Hunter and Delroy Lindo have gone down to Earth and have presented themselves to Ian Holm as bounty hunters. In 1940s attire. Saying they will find his daughter, but they're bad at this too. They say every wrong thing to Ian Holm. That's kind of funny. It's when kind Del of Roy funny. Lindo is is saying he'll prorate them if she comes back missing body parts. Right, if you lose in the air, we'll knock off 20 grand. It's kind of funny. But guys, this movie has Holly Hunter and Delroy Lindo. This movie's in 1997. Yes. Holly Hunter's an Oscar winner. Delroy yes. Lindo, wonderful, wonderful character actor. It's kind of in like a huge hot streak. This is Delroy yeah, Lindo like yes. running the 90s. Yes. 100%. They're playing, you know, angelic. Well, and you've got, that's, a rep, that's an actual representation of like, I want this uh, Elmore Leonard feeling. I want Delroy mm-hmm. Lindo. Yes, yes, and then yes. I want the Coen brothers. Coen brothers. I have Holly Hunter. Yes. So I put Dead them on. together. They're the, the power team that's going to always remind you of those two filmmakers. Like, or sorry, Elmore Leonard's yeah, not. Those but you two know what fives. I mean. No, you're absolutely yeah. But right. you want to be like, Danny, those are two different things. <laughs> that is true. That's one thing. This is what I'm saying. I'm like, how does this movie have two actors I adore? <laughs> Like, forget yeah. Ewan and Cameron, who I'm very fond of both of them. This right. movie has Holly Hunter and jo- Delroy Lindo yeah. playing Sturdiest angel bounty pros. hunters. Yes. Yeah. Like, and she's doing a different accent. Like, you don't see her yeah. stray too far from her natural she does accent. like five different voices in this movie. Well, yeah. And, 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 I, and I say this with all due respect to them, and I love them. Yeah. They don't really have a lot of chemistry. They're not no. very funny. Yeah. And their no. scenes yeah. are a little flat. Like, yeah. it just feels like such a waste, like of such an incredible casting coup. Yes. And yet you're relieved every time the movie cuts to them and you're like, yes. finally, I can nice relax from this yeah. fucking hostile car ride. <laughs> and I'm sure both of those actors were like, the guy who made train spotting? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I'll play whatever role he wants. Like, uh, yeah. you know, what? An, I'd love to work with that guy. And it just... It kind of feels like they don't get to do anything interesting. Like the, the blank yeah. check thing, where if someone has the type of success that defies all logic, like train spotting being this breakout phenomenon, then everyone goes, Anything you pitch to me that sounds crazy, I must just not get it. Yes, yes. Right? Which- Everything about this movie is you just imagine every direction he's giving to an actor, every pitch he's making to the studios. They're like, I bet train spotting also sounded crazy in the room. 
Right. Who would want to see that movie? Right. Who wants the baby crawling on the ceiling? Yeah. yeah. Don't Who ask wants too him many questions. Into a toilet. Yeah, yeah. 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 Don't. Right. Don't. We don't want to. We don't want to get our fingers in this one. You know. This is. This is one where we're just gonna. We know what to do, and we're just gonna back off and let you do your He's thing. He's operating on a wavelength we can't even understand. So Correct. you just have to trust him. You're in his hands. You're in safe hands. Yeah. So. I don't. We don't even really need to go through everything here, but there's. Uh, we certainly should talk about uh, the the karaoke scene, which Danny yeah. Boyle talks about as like the film sex scene. That's what he says. Like, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know, like uh, these kinds <laughs> of movies. That is so sad. Going yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Both, both of you guys kind of groaned there. Uh, it, which is the, this is a quote from Danny Boyle that I is quite charming, but I made me raise my eyebrow a little bit. He says, "The dance at the karaoke is the sex scene. This is supposed to be some kind of romance. We can't do a sex scene because then you'd have to have tissues and condoms and things." Oh, Danny. It doesn't seem right oh, for this particular kind of film, so we thought we'd have this dance instead, which is very old-fashioned. That's the way they used to do it in the old days, isn't it? I get what he's saying. I get that he's like, look, in a Frank Capra movie, they dance, and you get it. You know, you read everything into in that. In a Danny Boyle movie, you always need to see the rubber. Is his That's what I'm saying. I'm like, Danny, <laughs> not all sex scenes need tissues. Like, there doesn't right. need to be a, like, hey, can you, you, can you know reach how over? You people shit themselves every time they have sex. <laughs> Throw the blanket on the girl's parents, you know. Like... I, I just, and it does feel off. This movie was rated R, right? Or was it not? No, it has to be rated R, right? Uh, it has to be, yes. Right? We, you yes. Know, like, it feels weird that this movie, that like Danny Boyle basically, yeah, it was rated R. He's yeah. talking about like, yeah, you know, we cut the violence down and I didn't want anyone to fuck in it. And I'm like, it, why? Who, why, why not? Why, 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 don't you want some like verve here? I mean, the quote includes him saying, with this particular kind of film. So the follow-up question from the interviewer would have been, and what particular kind of film is that? Please define to me this type (laughs) of film you're acting like exists. Yeah. Has any proven model. He's talked so much about what a, like, moral victory the condom moment in Trainspotting was. Which which that moment is great. But that he was like, this was a thing that Hodge McDonald and I talked about, that you never see the removal or the application of the condom because you don't want to show an erect penis in a movie you can't do it with the censors so you leave out this important part of like casual sex in these movies with 20 somethings and he's like we figured out the way to do it in silhouette and it's after sex so he's flaccid we were so excited that we did it and then for his takeaway from that to be any sex scene i ever do has to involve (laughs) condoms And if I can't figure out a way to shoot it, then I guess there's no sex. This movie has angels in it. Yeah, what this are you movie, talking about, Danny? Like, I, you can, it's just odd how there's the karaoke <laughs> dance scene, and then we just cut to the morning after, and Ewan McGregor is like, what happened? And she's like, you were great. And you're just kind of like, oh, okay. So is that, yeah. that's... That's happened yeah. now, and yeah, I guess they like each other now. Like, and they're like celebrating that. Oh my god, they slept together. Things seem good, and the camera Diaz is like, "You don't think I like you, do you?" Yeah, and then he's it's like, annoying. "Well, I was going to propose marriage. They what might the be fuck? falling in love. Otherwise, you got to remind everyone that there has to be X amount more of movie. So it can't be. We have to keep putting up the roadblocks of like it starts to seem like we're getting somewhere. But Holly and Delroy." Ring, ring, ring. The movie essentially diffuses two central tensions 45 minutes in. It has yes. Cameron Diaz. You and McGregor basically go, you're free. 
And yes. she go, well, so let's do this together and we'll both make money. And so you're like, okay, so now there's not a hostage situation anymore. They are willing partners. She's coaching him on how to be a, a scarier negotiator. She's writing ransom notes in her own blood. Yes. Which is a fairly intense thing for her to be doing. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, they're doing these phone calls, right? You know, she's basically like, come on. He asked for half a million dollars and she's annoyed. She's like, I'm worth more than that. Like, you know, don't make me out like some cheap prize. Fully collaborating to fleece her father now, though. She is not in any danger from him. And then they sleep together and she's like, but don't think anything of it. So, like, sexual tension diffused. <laughs> tension of the, the hostage situation diffused. And then the people who are out there chasing them are Delroy Lindo and Holly Hunter who want them to fall in love. So you're like, well, what happens when they catch up with the two of them? They just have a negotiation? They got to keep trying to kill them. It has to. They all, they ha they constantly have to flash mortality in front right. of both of these characters because that's the only way for you to fall in love with someone. You have to trauma bond. Yeah. You can only only real love comes out of a extraordinary and terrifying circumstance that will never repeat itself again. And you're just going to have to face the reality that your life is going to be ordinary unless you're a psychopath who continues to put yourself into life threatening situations so that there's some sort of zest to your marriage. I know. I mean, it's not setting you up very well. It's not setting you up very it's well. so wrong to want a life less ordinary, just a life a little less ordinary. No, but that, the scene where, like, Delroy Lindo forces Ewan McGregor to dig his own grave. Yeah. Yeah, that's a weird scene. That's intense. So they suck at this. So Holly Hunter and Delroy Lindo are bad at this. They keep saying to each other that, like, the drama will be part of the romance, right? That seems to be their right. modus operandi. They're like, ah, you know, you got to put some stakes on this or else they're just not going to be into it. But that doesn't really track. No, and, and Dan Hedaya is like, I'm frustrated with your results. Everyone ends up getting divorced. It doesn't last. And I'm like, how did they ever get any two people together in the first place? Well, we never, yeah, we've, we've never seen, we don't have, because that scene is meaningless and is at the beginning of the movie, we don't have mm -hmm. anything to compare it to. We don't have any idea what they've done wrong, what their work has been like up to this point, what that even meant why this exists at all as a device. So there's nothing you've, you're you're starting with nothing. So you don't know you don't know what they what they mean or why what they're why they're bad at what they're doing or we know that like the temperature is too cold and I guess the clothes are too scratchy or something on earth and that's <laughs> yeah, why you yes. want to make sure you don't you yeah. want to go back to the place where everything is white, I guess. Yeah, you know, why do they want to go back there? It seems boring. But whatever. I mean, they do. They want to be immortal, I guess. That's cool. Um what are some other things that happened? Uh, there's the whole road scenario, right? Mm -hmm. With Holly Hunter. Where they think they've run over Holly Hunter. Oh, she's like Terminator. There's like and a she Terminator goes Terminator. Thing. She goes full Terminator. She does. Uh, yeah. Hanging yeah. on to the Terminator. back of the car. And you said she didn't have much to do with <laughs> how. Shame on you. <laughs> she's got stuff to do. I mean, Holly Hunter's career is weird because I am saying like you've got Holly Hunter and you're blowing it, blowing it. There are other movies from this era that she would pop up in that you would like copycat or whatever. You would similarly kind of be like, this is Holly Hunter we're working with. You know, like, what do we, you know, I get that yeah. she's a specific actor or whatever, but, you know, she doesn't actually make a lot of movies. Good for her. I'm looking at this. That's why it's so weird that she was in like Little Black Book. 
Right. I mean, we ran through her piano career, how odd her career is after piano, after she wins the Oscar in what she chooses to do and doesn't do. Um, do you know Timothy Oliphant basically says that, like, his one day working with her inspired him to keep acting? That he was feeling very broken down by the industry and was thinking about walking away from it because he found it, like, creatively soul-crushing and stifling. And he was, like, watching her creative process and the choices she made on set. And she kind of took me under her wing. On and this it, movie. On this movie. She was an angel. And I'm glad she kept Timothy Oliphant in the business because I, I love that man. He's a we good love man. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, I, I, I love Justified and I love... You know, even I don't that's know, the real scream story. Two. This is the real story of this movie. The real story is she was an angel. She was sent down from now. Hear me out. God uh-huh. wanted this movie to get made mm-hmm. because he needed to make sure that Timothy Oliphant had the career he has had. Right. So he needed, he needed to create to a movie about God putting people in situations so that yeah. he would continue to stay in the business. Had to put Holly Hunter in it. She had to play an angel because she's actually in real life an angel for God, for show business, keeping Timothy Oliphant in. We have cracked this wide open. Okay, yes. Can I read this that's why now. he's so inexplicable in this film. That's why when yes. he appears, yes. you're like, wait, why is he even here? There was only one understand. reason he needed that day with Holly. I want to read this. This answers a couple questions, but it's also just pretty good in and of itself. So he said, yeah. this is a Timothy Oliphant radio interview from 2017, KPCC 89.3 FM, Southern Shout California. Out to KPCC. He says, I did a scene that would basically got cut out of a Danny Boyle movie, A Life Less Ordinary, where I was working with Holly Hunter for the days. Those are moments. Danny Boyle, there was just a way in which he works, enthusiasm, he makes you feel like everything is wonderful. But here's the important part of the story. Watching Holly Hunter was pretty life-changing. I hadn't seen that before. We were doing a take and the cameras on her. The wind picked up and she turned her face into the wind. Some noise would happen off camera and she'd turn and look at it and then look back at me. She had this monologue and at first I keep thinking she's screwing up the shot. But then I realize, no, she's not. She's actually just completely dialed into the entire experience and everything that's happening and she's not concerned with getting it right. She's not even trying to get it right. She's interested in the moment, whatever was happening at the moment. It felt fearless and unconscious and I remember flagging that moment that day and thinking, well, that's where you want to go. That's where you want to get to. Okay. That's nice. None of that feels reflected <laughs> in the performance we see no, on screen. No, and maybe like he says, most of it just got cut out, and that's that's that. You know sure. that happens. Um, but I'm glad he had that transcendent moment, and I'm also glad that like almost any actor, he seems to talk very fondly about Danny Boyle. Yeah, as a as an onset oh, yeah. guy. Yeah, he seems like a super fun person to work with. There's no no I've no I don't question that even in no. movies like that are, that don't succeed for sure. No, it seems like he'd seems, be a pleasure yeah. to work with. Yes, he seems quite well regarded in that uh, sense. Um, How does so, this movie resolve itself? You know, uh, what happens Ooh. is eventually they get in fights and uh, they decide they to rob a fights. bank. Right. Uh, which they goes well until the security guard shoots at them. Well, he takes kissing. a bullet He for gets her. a flash yes. of her getting shot in the stomach. And then, like, Nicolas Cage in Next, he takes the bullet to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Um, and uh, he gets operated on by Stanley Tucci. Right. And he, like, falls. You know, he, like, you know, goes unconscious, wakes up to see them essentially doing some kind of sexual role play. Tucci's doing like a cheesecake shoot with her. 
We're we're meant to understand for sure that she's way not into it and that this, for some reason, for her is part of her manipulation. She's like, whatever. This is what she, you know, she promised Stanley Tucci. I'll, you know, do that with you for a night if you save my friend. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but also, they, you know, super bloody fucking like prosthetic surgery, leg. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, then, well, basically they they split up, but then Delroy Lindo writes a poem in mm-hmm. Ewan's handwriting, sends it Celine to oh, Celine to says Jesus. Cameron Diaz. She is moved, comes and finds him, recites it to him, and says. I'm so charmed by this. You've won me back over. And you McGregor's like, I, I don't write poetry. What? That's not a thing. What? I didn't do that. Was the plan here? I don't know. They didn't seem to anticipate <laughs> that he would be like, I have not written poems anytime this recently. This will fall apart immediately. <laughs> they did buy all the spy gear they could get their hands on. A lot this of spy true. gear. A lot of spy gear. Yeah, the, the, the them parting ways for being such a sort of random, chaotic movie that is four movies, mm. suddenly you are like in the middle of Save the Cat in the most bland, like all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh, third act. Like it's, it feels so forced that it suddenly becomes the most pat movie you've ever seen because yeah. it's like, oh, this is, oh, what's happening here? Oh, this, this is where they have to g- hate each other now. God, right, it, got it, right. got it. I guess I should tie my watch by that. Like, the fallout. oh no, yeah. yeah. And and then you're right. Like Tony Shalhoub gets the big scene, but it's the best friend in the most generic rom com, being like, "Yeah, go to her, <laughs> run through the airport, get there in time before she boards yeah. the flight." Traffic's terrible. You're gonna have to go on foot. Hail a cab, but then after ten minutes, get frustrated. Check <laughs> no, your watch. Ca- but make sure give the cabbie time to also give you a gym. Let yes. the cabbie give you a little nugget, and then yeah. and then just start way. running. Correct. So none of this. None of this. I'll I'll just say that like mm. we're probably there's probably 15 20 minutes of the movie left when all this is happening. And I was definitely not like I have found a hidden gem, but I <laughs> yes. was kind of like, look, this movie is kind of wacky and I'll give it it's, you know, I'll give it a little credit for at least it's just weird and mm-hmm. that it happened and I, I I haven't hated watching this. But then the final chunk of like the <laughs> angels now <laughs> resigned to their mortality decide to kidnap Cameron Diaz again. Yes. And take her hostage and he has to rescue her. And then the butler shoots the angels and like, you know, all this stuff where they're like, I'm like, why have you crammed all of this? I, that's when I was <laughs> really kind of like, guys, I'm, the butler I'm the sick angels. of this. I, I yeah. am sick of this. I, I am so now a little stuff. annoyed. Right. Yeah. I yes. went from being like, eh, look, it doesn't work, but I'm charmed by the by the attempt and to and by right. the end. I was like, can you guys shut up, please? And like, like you Hugh know. McGregor gets shot in the heart, and you cut to Dan Hedaya frantically answering the phone like he's Howie Mandel on Deal yeah, or No Deal, talking I, to the I, dealer. I had the same thought. Yes, right? Deal or No what? Deal energy. You want me to? You think he's a good player? D- you and McGregor's dream. Describing his own dream about being on a game show yes. was enough information for Cameron Diaz to realize that what that eventually was going to mean was that she would shoot him in the heart, Yes, but that that bullet would pass through him without harming him to then penetrate the person that's holding onto him. Like that's, save the day. that's the takeaway yeah. from the dream. Like, oh, the dream makes sense it now. It makes perfect sense. 
It makes perfect sense. That half-described dream that sounded annoying. Uh, you mentioned the uh, declamation uh, at the end, Jane. I don't know if you know this. Uh, this was because they forgot to shoot or write <laughs> anything explaining where the money went. And only after they cut the movie together, they Is realized that, that scene was missing. Fox was like, do you need money for reshoots? And Danny was like, no, we'll do it in stop motion. We'll do it in claymation. Yes. But of yes. course. You are right uh, that that scene is missing, and I, of course, will pull out my plasticine and make it for you right now. Oh my God, they forgot. They forgot. Uh, let me let me see if there's any. All right, I'm gonna just give you guys uh, any other dossier thing. So I told you, right? Newton McGregor had just made the movie Night Watch, kind of a mm-hmm. forgotten '90s thriller, yeah, I uh, and that. he does an American accent in that, and he showed that movie to Boyle and and uh, McDonald being like here's my American accent if you want me to do one and they watched it and they were like you should just be Scottish and he yeah. to this day is like I don't know if they just felt it'd be better for the movie or if they didn't like my accent but whatever mm-hmm. they cast him so he didn't care uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, obviously Cameron Diaz uh, is basically getting cast off of the mask here as as she was for all these little movies she did like feeling minnesota mm-hmm. right and the last yeah. supper and all that she's the one um and uh you know uh, as as boyle puts it he wanted someone mythically american that's that's his take on cameron diaz she right? is very american certainly yeah um Holly Hunter, like, you know, they love Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen, those two guys, also known as the Cohen brothers. Uh, so they're into that. Um, uh, they did consider having God appear in the film. Sean Connery, Orson Welles, Whoopi Goldberg were some names that got tossed around. Each uh, one of those lost roles to each other so countless times. Yes. Countless times. They went with Whoopi again, says Sean Connery. <laughs> I want it to be Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> Always get those three confused. I want it to be Jumping Jack Flash. Um, I could have gotten back in the habit. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. I don't think you're going to get there. cast in the sequel, Sean. No. <laughs> Come on. Why not? She already, already had played that no role. One would see it coming. She originated it, Sean. I don't, no. I don't think it's a game ball, Sean. No. I think it's hers. Uh. Oh, Ian Holm. Apparently on set, Ian Holm told Danny Boyle that he had been deeply in talks with Stanley Kubrick about making Napoleon for a long time. And then one day, Stanley Kubrick just topped talking to him, and that was the end of that. Um, But that makes sense, right? Ian Holm being in Napoleon. I don't know if he was going to play Napoleon. Did he play Napoleon in anything? He did that movie, The Emperor's New Clothes, where he plays Napoleon. Yes. Wait, what was he in? It's called The Emperor's New Clothes. Because I too feel like I've seen him with his hand in a jacket Absolutely. and like um, and the little hat. hat. He played Napoleon, guys, three times. Oh, he played perfect. him in a British TV series called Napoleon and Love. He played him in Time Bandits. And uh, that's that what movie. I'm thinking of. I'm You're thinking of, Time thinking of Time Bandits. Yes. yes. Okay. All right. There um, is. I went to the Wikipedia page for the Emperor's New Clothes, and there's a subsection: Ian Holmes Napoleon. Right. <laughs> listing just... the two times he's done on television, twice in film, yeah. uh, twice in literature. I don't know what the fuck they're talking Wait, about. Yeah, anyway. he did it twice in literature. Griffin, don't ask questions. Okay. Dumb. Um, okay. This is interesting. Okay. So the film had a small budget, twelve million dollars. So Fox mostly left them alone. Uh-huh. because the budget was so small their two big notes were one they should kiss more often hmm. they wanted a kiss in the movie every 10 minutes was david sims uh, the chief executive i was about Fox? to say <laughs> it. 
Uh, and then the other one, which they listened to, is that initially in the bank robbery scene, so in the bank robbery scene, Cameron Diaz points a gun at the teller. Ewan McGregor says, I thought we agreed no cliches. And instead she points a gun at a, a like a teenage girl. Uh -huh. And and like it's like give me the money, right? That's the sort of like whatever joke. In the original script, it was a tiny girl, it was a seven-year-old girl. And Fox was like, Look, if you absolutely want to do this, we're not gonna put our foot down, but we don't think that's a good idea. And Danny yes. Boyle was like, You're right. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. She probably shouldn't we do are, that. <laughs> we are kindly asking you not to do that. But it's still it still is like that that moment stands out, I think, just in terms of what ages well and doesn't, even in movies that make no sense and aren't great. That mm -hmm. move that that move sort of stands out to me as like people today going, I don't think we do that. Do we do that? Do we yes. have the 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 heroine yeah. character? And I think it gets excused by the term black comedy, but this is not. I think that's this movie has been described as a black comedy. I don't think that it is at all. No. So it's weird because you're like, oh, there's th like four or five black comedy moments, so this is going to be a black comedy, and that's like kind of how you get away with your you know your leading lady pointing a, lo a loaded gun at a child. Yeah. who is still very much a child. That's one of the problems is it does feel like he's trying to make a frothy comedy on top of a dark story. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the comedy in this movie is not dark at all. There are dark no. circumstances and all of them are played silly. Right. But then um, something like that happens. You're like, no, I've, I just played out of my mind what could have happened in that scenario. Right. It's really bad. Really bad. It's like really bad. But I will say for the kiss, maybe you're going to bring this up, David. I apologize if I'm jumping on it. No, that me. authentic spit string that mm. comes from between them right after the bank robbery. I hate that I'm interested enough in filmmaking that I can't just appreciate the reality of that. And instead, in my mind, I was imagining Danny Boyle being like, this is it. That's the one that's going in the can. That's real. And I love it. And it's a spit string. I hate that I like it pulls me out instead of yes. putting putting me back in. So I have to put in, reinsert myself into the movie. But um, but I did. But, you know, you don't see a lot of tongue and a lot of spit strings in, in movie kisses these days or in television kisses. And no, I appreciate no, that they went for it. There's your viscera. There's your condom. There's your yeah. There's your condom. They should use tissue off. to tissue. wipe off it's the, the tissue. saliva. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, which I do think is quite cute, is that apparently, you know, they shot this movie in Utah, and apparently, Ewan McGregor really stuck out in '90s Utah with his <laughs> weird hair and his funky clothes and all that. Uh, so apparently, he had a bit of a hard time being i don't know the the lonely scottish boy in in utah um okay yeah that's all i don't know i think <laughs> i think they had a good time making this movie like i, I think you're absolutely it right do, it seems like everyone's very fond of each other and is like talking about it's not like danny boyle is like oh my god you could tell from week one we were screwed you know it's yeah. more just kind of like eh. i think we kind of just like didn't have a tone that we totally figured out and we shouldn't have turned it into angels Oops. The, uh -huh. This is Sorry. one of those movies where the cast dinners must have been incredible. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's in their 20s, too. They're all saucy, yeah. right? This and is you're the in like most... Utah. You're just owning whatever town you're filming in, you know? Salt Lake City. You're making a trip to the temple. I kind yeah. of seeing what that's all yeah. about. Maybe you catch a Mormon Tabernacle Choir uh, <laughs> show. Um, Danny Boyle says he saw Notting Hill, which comes out a couple years later. Mm -hmm. Uh, but still, he says when he saw that, he was like, 
oh, this is a good romantic comedy. Okay. Yes, like, and that is like, true. And there yes. is nothing about this movie that is like that movie in no, any way. She's clearly form. like, uh, I don't think I ever could have made a movie like this, but this is a romantic. Ah, right. This is the tone I don't know how to do or don't want to do or whatever. That does um, now preemptively yeah. explain why he makes yesterday, makes yesterday 20 years yes. later. Yeah. I, I now get that that was his sights were set on that. Yeah. Okay. After all this, you know, criticism, he does say, I like the film. I'm affectionate about it. Uh, it's a film nobody likes and everyone's forgotten, but there are elements about falling in love that are really good. It's very dizzy and not rational. I don't know. He seems like he's like, oh, that's my little misfit toy. Right. Like that's, uh-huh. yeah. you know, which especially is if you had like, a great time making allowed. it like we, you, yeah. you know, he's he's con- he's now he's it's all mixed up in one thing now. It's like the making of that movie and where he was in his life and like mm-hmm. them having fun and being an enjoyable experience it that's hard to tease apart from something that that maybe doesn't succeed at all so and i want him to have that i want him to for this to be a super positive fun memory and you know for him to feel like oh the lightheartedness madcap adventure of yeah being in love <sighs> right and you know if leo wanted to work with him right after that i can't have dinged him that badly yeah uh, or that was right, already in the right. works I yeah. don't know how that works. So do we want to play the box office game? Yes. Yeah, just, Janet, because we did, uh, as you said, force you to take the poison pill on this movie. I'll just say, in, in booking guests for this miniseries, we, we are usually going about things as we reach out to people or people have reached out to us. Uh, you know, if it's a first-time guest like you or someone we've had before on, we go, hey, here's the next two things we're doing. Here are the next two directors. Here are all the movies that are up for grabs. Do you have feelings about any of them? So and uh, basically everyone came back to us with the exact same three Danny Boyle picks. Uh-huh. It was this real thing where like everyone basically picked the same three movies. What did they pick? Uh, everyone basically said I would do train spotting. Did not did not that did not feel that important to me. I mean, I gave you I gave you a lot. You gave me. You, I, you, you give if a lot you're going to tell me that a bunch of people said I want to do millions, then I'm going to end this call. You know what? Call. I'm sorry. No. Millions is one of the only ones we had booked early, though. Okay. We did yeah, book it early. Someone uh, called. I see. Me. I see. I see. And everyone yes. said Slumdog Millionaire and trains. Yeah, and uh, trains. No one wants to do Slumdog Millionaire, but yes. Anyway. Oh, really? I was, assumed that people would just be like, "I know what a Danny Boyle movie is. It's that one." <laughs> right. Well, you wrote this email that, where you're saying how like important he was to you. Yeah. And then I was like, well, even I don't know if we're going to find anyone who really wants to stand up for a life less ordinary. But if there's someone who has like a really strong passion for Danny Boyle at yeah. that period, that you'll yeah. be able to speak mm. well about this to any degree. But I want to give you the platform to if there are any other general Danny Boyle thoughts you want to say about his career, or about this era, his 90s, these movies for you. I know we talked about it a little bit, but I want to give you the yeah. platform. I said it. I feel like I I said the the sort of like he's the figuring it all out thing. and he yeah. F- yeah and he f- and he represents a whole sort of like slew of other things culturally that you know became important to me around the same time. I think that's true for a lot of people. Um, but you know I I love him. I love him. I would love to work with him. It would be amazing to work with Danny Boyle. Absolutely, hundred <sighs> percent. Like even a really if he cool was just, to work with. even if they could go back and reinsert me into this experience, and I had to say <laughs> the only Danny Boyle movie I was in and was allowed to be in was A Life Less Ordinary, I would absolutely do it. Hmm, I want you to do a Boyle now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I want Danny Boyle to do another movie more than anything. 
Uh, I know it hasn't even been that long and he got hung up on Bond and then made a couple TV shows or whatever. You know, like I I get that he's not like in hiding or whatever, but I'd like him to make a movie. Basically, the last thing that was like seriously announced coming from him was him supposed to, he's supposed to do a Methuselah action movie with Michael B. Jordan. That has been, that is one of those projects that he's been attached to for so long. So it must be a script he loves. Um, because I think it it's is Simon hilarious, Bufoy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, like a lot of people have been attached to it over the years. I love, yes. you know, the idea of Michael B. Jordan doing it. It's basically like, what if a guy lived to be a thousand years old, but it's like an action movie? And he could also kick. Yeah, he could kick. He could do a kick. Right. Um, <laughs> he has a kick that he does. He could do uh-huh. one kick. Uh, uh-huh. So make that. That's fine. I'm I'm all for it. No, I, mean, I, I know I, that's one know. of those like development hell movies, but then whenever it was early 2020, they were like, this now has heat behind it again. Boyle and, and Jordan together, there's excitement. Mm. And then I feel like there's been no development, but you also haven't heard about him working on anything new. When did yesterday come out? 2019. 2019. Okay. I put forward yeah. the theory that it's the movie that caused the pandemic. We'll get back to this at the end of our mini series, but I have at certain points suggested that it might be <laughs> if a movie can be patient zero, it might have been yesterday. A lot of crowd scenes. A lot, lot of crowd, of crowd scenes. That's true. That's true. They yeah. gotta hear him do all the songs. Yeah. yeah. See, because you know also, no one knows the Beatles. Mm-hmm. What? They cut Anna de Armas out of the trailer, which is illegal. It has been which is, has been ruled by the illegal. Supreme Court yeah. that it was illegal. Yeah. I think he went to, I think he actually served time in the can for that a little bit. I think it's maybe, coming. It's yeah. coming. Yeah. People are talking about now there's a new film, you know, coming out called Plane, right? It's about mm, planes. Yes. Good. Uh, but actually the movie is mostly set on an island, right? The plane lands on an island. Uh, sure. And then sure. most of it is set on an island. And someone tried to tell me, like, well, that's false advertising. And I was like, Do you think there are people who are like, a movie has a plane in it? I'm there? Like, or they're like, wait a second. <laughs> This movie's got. I planes? feel like there was an era where that was true. I feel yeah, like, like the twenties. There was an era, like, yeah. yeah Nineteen like twenties, <laughs> to be clear. No, I feel like there wasn't there an era where it was like we got snakes on a plane, we got the sure. president on a plane, well, we got Jodie true. Foster on a flight plan. We got, she had a flight plan. She had a whole she had plan. A plan. <laughs> I think it went alright. But, I don't but know. the element there, Janet, is that the the pitch was you won't believe what we put on this plane. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Whereas plane is just selling you. What if there was a plane? That movie's that title is going to change. That title's going to change. No, it's not. Plane? No, it's oh not. no, no. It, it's out no. tomorrow it, or yeah. next okay. week. Next all week. Right. Next all right. All right. Plane. I can just see it. Much much like Ewan McGregor can see Cameron Diaz getting shot in the gut. I can see. A year from now, Jack Nicholson out of retirement, back in the public eye, on stage, opening the envelope and going, the best picture goes to plane, and then holding up the two fingers like he did after Crash. He knows how surprised everyone is by what he just said. Plane. All right. Griffin, this movie came mm-hmm. out October twenty fourth, nineteen ninety seven. Just what you just what you think when you watch this movie. Halloween, people are going to be in <laughs> a mood for this. Yeah, uh, I guess it is supernatural. So unsurprisingly, <laughs> yeah. uh, it opens number nine with two million dollars. So obviously, okay. it's and, to, and it legs it out to four. Oh, so uh, not a great run yeah. for Life Less Ordinary. Um, yeah. It's basically it's basically out of theaters after two weeks. Um, okay. But uh, uh, no, unsurprisingly, number one at the box office is a horror film. Sure. Uh, it's in its second week, and it's got huh. an iconic title. 
It's got an, an iconic title. Is it? Uh, is it? I know what you did last summer. I know what you did last oh, summer. Oh, pretty okay. phenomenal title. Yeah, yeah. Pretty great. Based on title. a book. Based on a book. Based it on a book. Is, I know what you did last summer. It is based right? on Lois Duncan's book. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Shout out. Uh, to I Lois think Duncan. I think it's a uh, loosely a based on that book, but yes. sure. Um, <laughs> uh, and of course, it was followed by "I Still Know What You Did Last Summer" and "I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer." I think went to. Uh, Went to direct video. video, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I still know what you did last summer, though, is arguably an even better title. The audacity <laughs> it of it. Still. It is audacious. It's because yes. it knows it's it's that that it's that it's sort of you know making fun of itself. Yeah, but there's in also the way this, that you want. Yeah, there's a nice tension to the title of of the title yelling at you. This is not resolved. Yeah, don't think you're in the clear. I still yeah. fucking know what you did last <laughs> summer. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. I know. I haven't. Forgotten. And you have the immediate context that there, another summer has not passed. Okay, no. you immediately no. get a lot of clues. Right. right. The timeline is. <laughs> this might pick right back up. Yeah. I do. I do. There's two things. One, I do want to say Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, and I know what you did last summer. Do you guys remember what she's called? She has uh, one of the great no. horror movie names ever. Her name is Helen Shivers. I think about it all the time. Oh, boy. Uh, it is such a good wow. name. Uh, I remember that movie being fun. I have not seen it in many, many years. I have never seen it. You've never no. seen I, I Know What You Did never Last Summer? It. I don't think I've ever no. seen it, and I think I confuse it with Final Destination. Well, it's very different from Final Destination. <laughs> I think in my mind, there's a lot of like funny, awful, mm-hmm. crazy things that happen. But yeah, I, there's a little bit of that. It's very, it's one of those classic, um, you know, it's like a beachy slasher. There's a lot mm-hmm. of beachy slasher, a lot of, sure. lot of rain and water. There's crabs, hook, hook-handed fisherman, right? Hook-handed fisherman, right? He's no good. Oh, um, anyway, yeah. so I know what you did last summer is doing great at the box office. Obviously, that starred the uh, the uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, six the six named yes. two actor. Uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, you know, one two punch. Yep. Plus yep. Freddie Prince Jr. and oh, Ryan Phillippe. Uh, two. Yeah, and, man. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Phil. No, it's Ryan Phillip, and then E is his last. <laughs> e. Just the initial oh, yeah, right. E. Ryan Phillip. The variant e. yes. is his last. Yes. Uh, you've also got a young Anne Heche, Johnny Galecki, a lot of, lot of good people in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Number two at the box office, Griff, is uh, also, hmm, it's, it's hmm. a horror. Hmm. Hmm. It's a, it's a legal <laughs> film with horror elements. Is it The Devil's describe, Advocate? How do you describe The Devil's Advocate? Yeah, that's the only <laughs> like way to so good at this. You're always there, so freaking good at this. No other movie that could be describing. <laughs> yeah. Not really, right? There's no other no. movie where it's like I'm an attorney who's the devil. Like that that never happened it, again. Isn't uh, Angel Heart? Does that have is someone a lawyer in that? Never mind. I don't think they're lawyers. I think he's that's, like yeah, a, a right. PI in Angel right. Heart. Right. That's yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's devil crime. You can say. Yeah, <laughs> it is devil crime. I think it just features maybe someone in a suit. And in my mind, I was like, oh, they're a lawyer. It is the same twist of this guy in a suit played by one of the actors from Heat is the yeah. devil. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, it might be. You're right, though. It might be the only satanic courtroom thriller. <laughs> I mean, in Angel Heart, I will say it is supposed to be a twist that Robert De Niro is the devil, whereas yeah. the devil's advocate, they're not really hiding it, right? You know, yeah. you know like, Al Pacino basically walks in wearing horns. Yes, yeah. yeah, right. Isn't uh, isn't De Niro's character name in Angel Heart Lou Cipher though? Correct. Oh his hell Lu- yeah! His Lewis, name is Louis Cipher. Cipher. What a well hidden mm-hmm. twist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, all right. 
Number okay. three at the box office, Griff, is mm-hmm. another crime movie, an adult, okay. uh, you know, detective thriller. Uh, ooh, ooh. I think I know. Go ahead, Give a guess. Is it L.A. Confidential? No, that is too good a movie. That movie is good. Oh, that movie, however, is, is yeah. in the top ten. L.A. Confidential okay. is number ten. Okay. Uh, it's been out for six weeks. But this you have to say that's an adult crime movie if there yes, ever was one. One of one of my favorite movies of Great. the nineties. Uh, no, this is more airport, you know, novel. Is this Kiss thing. the Girl? It's Kiss the Girls. And which one's that? That's is that one of several Ashley yes. Judd and Morgan Freeman movies? Yes. Well, it's one of several Ashley Judd R-rated thrillers. Okay. And okay. then it's one of two Morgan Freeman as uh, Alex, Alex Cross. Cross. Don't cross Alex uh, Cross. Don't cross Alex gotcha. Cross. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, who is then, of course, later played by Tyler Perry. And Correct. Is there someone else? That's no, just Tyler There's Perry. There's a TV in the show now, maybe. Oh, uh, with Aldous Hodge that they're yes. going to do. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Uh, but the James Patterson books, uh, Kiss the Girls, you know, they're all named after um, nursery rhymes. So, Kiss the Girls, Along Came a Spider, Jack and Jill. You know, there's a lot of, he, he did yes. like, he did a lot of them. Humpty Dumpty. Uh, yes. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Like, James, how are you going to, you know, I'll figure it out. Don't worry. Um, Jack, I'm looking at actual titles here Jack and Jill, Four yep. Blind Mice, Mary, Mary. Cross, oh, yep. no. double cross, and cross country. Well, that's the thing. He started going cross. He started doing <laughs> yeah. crosses after a while. Yeah. He did like cross my heart, you know, a lot of those. Yeah. D- w- Pop goes the weasel. Two of them back to back were called <laughs> Roses on. are Red and Violets Come are on. Blue. Those were yeah. two separate titles. Oh, have wow. you, Griff, have you seen Kiss the Girls? No, I haven't. It's one of those things where, like, is it a good movie? Not particularly, mm-hmm. but Morgan yeah. Freeman is so, like, above the level that movie needs, and he's yeah. so good in it. Like, because he, you know, I just, I'm so fascinated by that 90s Morgan Freeman is an A list movie star thing. Mm-hmm. Like, this mm-hmm. guy in his 50s is now someone who opens movies and like yes. he's you know he it is just there's just not it's good it's good stuff just like a, a steady presence in a, a movies made for grown-ups yeah very um, satisfying yeah uh, a lot of good actors in that movie brian cox bill nunn carrie elwes he's definitely not the murderer no, couldn't, be that, <laughs> couldn't be carrie elwes he's playing um, the character name of john t innocent man <laughs> <laughs> Nick Q suspicious. Um, number four at the box office is a big epic movie that is a flop. Okay. Uh, very controversial at the time, not in America, but in another country for huh. existing. Condone? No, but correct uh, area Close. and country yeah. that's mad about it. Yes. Yeah. What's the other oh, seven Tibet movie that China was mad about? Oh. Mm-hmm. Jean Jacques Seven Years. Well in Tibet. done, Janet. That's right. Yes, um, which I've never seen because it Me always neither. seemed kind of boring. Yeah, I, I. Well, that was in my boring. hardcore anti-Brad Pitt phase, where I was Th- like, I was... won't watch him do anything serious. Janet, I don't believe him. No, I really was like, David, I took so, a stand. That is fair. That was his most no, boring uh, no, era. One hundred percent. Of course, it, yeah. it, that's his era where he, I think, is realizing like I can't do right. I can't do that. Like I can't do the saintly, stoic, beautiful, yeah, yeah. stoic. Because like yes. he's bad in Interview with a Vampire, Legends of the oh, Fall, yes. uh-huh. that. Meet yeah. Joe Black, like and Devil's yeah. Own. Yeah. Like he did tons of movies where it's like, don't don't do this. Like yeah. do weird shit. And Fight Club is when he's like, okay, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes, yes Was yes. Fight Club when he when he won you back over, Janet? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
It yeah. is funny that he does seven and people are like, huh, Brad Pitt can kind of act. And then yeah. he does 12 Monkeys and an like he nomination. gets his Oscar nomination. And they were like, great, you've proven to us what a good scuzzy character actor you are yeah. with visionary directors. How about we make you some boring guy again? <laughs> they just immediately <laughs> right. throw him Mm-mm. back into the old shit. Mm-mm. Yeah. Seven years in Tibet. So not a hit, obviously. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was a whole. Okay. Number five is new this week. Okay. It's a film we all watched in science class, Griffin. Hmm. What is it? It's a film we all watched in science class. Watched in it's a, science it's a, class. It's a good Flubber? movie. No, 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 no. What? Right Why would we watch Flubber in science? He's class? a professor. Oh, let's retcon true. the history of everything so that that's true. <laughs> oh, kids are always watching Flubber in school. David, he discovered Flubber. It's that's a that's a unique chemical. Now, to okay. be what fair, did, Jerry are you Lewis saying we watched it in science class. I'm mystified by this. Flubber. Jerry Lewis discovered Flubber years ago, didn't he? No. It was yes. Fred McMurray was the You're right, it's professor. Fred McMurray. Yeah. It's not Correct. Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis was the nutty professor. Right. Yeah. Uh look. Wildly no, different. No, no. It's a it's a serious, very different. It's a serious okay. science film. It's a serious um, science film. Kind of a flop on release, but quickly uh-huh. well regarded. Science. Very very like visually science, but not space. Like science. Not, not space. Like, like not okay. space. Grounded. Although one of the, one of the characters really wants to go to space. One of the characters really wants to go to space. 1987, mm. kind of a flop, redeemed, <laughs> shown uh, in science class. Stars, mystifying. main character is a hottie. The okay. female lead, also a hottie. But then the supporting character is, is uh, you know, white That's hot. the money? Yeah, this is it, where he's in breakout mode. Maybe you haven't seen this film. Flatliners. Oh, 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 he knows oh, what it is. Oh, it's not oh, Flatliners, right. oh. although everyone in Flatliners is hot, so you're not wrong about that, Jan. It's Gattaca. It's Gattaca. Of it's Gattaca. I wish I would have watched that in science class. Same. Same. It's a movie that I remember in biology class. They were like, so this movie is about genes and stuff. Let's just watch it. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to put my head down on a desk. Um, you know. But uh, Jude, Jude Law is so, so hot. Yes. Uh, and yes. Cool yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Great. Yeah. Um, cool architecture, Gattaca. if memory serves. Yeah, very yeah. cool aesthetically, all that stuff. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, cool movie. That is number mm-hmm. five this week. Weird week at the box office. Mostly grown-up movies, I would say. Mm-hmm. Right, like you know, yeah, a lot of R-rated stuff. Possibly until now, based on what you're saying. Uh, and then yeah, well, I'll just give you the others. Uh, number six was Fairy Tale of a True Story, which is uh, oh is. sure. That's like a true story. Well, obviously, that's it's a, a true movie story. based on. Story. There was that scam where the guy, the, it's like the guy who took pictures of fairies, like in like, and the they published him in the newspaper. His right. his the daughters with fairies, and people thought they proved the existence of fairy. Harvey Keitel plays Harry Houdini in it. Oh, he sure cool. does. It's an uh, odd Peter, film, and huh. Peter O'Doul plays Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes, um, I, this is, I've, I've blacked out or? during the making. Well, of that you did, no, 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 no one's heard of that movie. Only okay. freaks like us mm, know. That I saw movie it twice exists. in theaters. Yeah, uh, it's it's one of those movies where it's called fairy tale, a true story, but the true story is that what happened was faked, and the movie treats it as if it were real. So the Confusing. title's a lie. Confusing. Yeah, okay. much like Plane. Okay, number seven at the box office, <laughs> In and Out. Very fun. Uh, yep. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah. of its time. Kevin Klein moment. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um. Number eight, Griffin, we were just talking about him, the creator of Puppy Dog Pals. Harland Williams. The film is Rocket Man. Yes. Uh, not Rocket Man with Elton John. No. The other one. 
Uh, I, I've never seen it. Have you seen Rocket Man? Uh, in which you're asking me if I have seen Rocket Man? Yeah, Rocket Man, possibly my mother's favorite comedy of the last thirty years. <laughs> I cannot okay. tell you how many times I've seen Rocket Man. Pretty good tagline. Okay. Can you tell okay. me the tagline? Uh, there he blows. I don't know what is. He's it? just taking up space. Oh yeah, it's good. Uh, Pretty good. Uh, and the poster, of course, is his uh, suit inflated because he can't stop farting in it. Uh, Janet, my mother for perspective is a very pretentious French woman, and she. <laughs> but in that way, the French people love Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis she sees this farting Rocket guy. Man. Yep, that's where you unwind. That's where you let your hair down. Is in watching movies if you're uptight in French. Well, no, that's when she's most uptight. But she just loves Rocket Man as like it's just very well directed. Well, I don't know if that's true because I haven't seen it. It's have you time. seen Rocket Man? No. 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 Did you know, uh, Have uh, Janet, have you heard of the uh, animated children's show Puppy Dog Pals? Yes. The uh, Rocket Man. He's the creator of that movie. That, of that I, show. That's, I, that's, that's really weird. David's <laughs> like daughter weird. recently discovered it and he... He decried that the show is a pox against humanity. My daughter is less than two years old, but Uh has found Rocket Man. I mean, Puppy Dog Pals. She's not found Rocket Man. Found Puppy Dog Pals on the Disney Plus carousel, pointed to it and said, Puppy. And when I decided to try and play something else, she stomped her feet until I played it. Because I don't know how to deal with that. And so I put it on. It's not very good, in my opinion. I'm sorry if... You know, if you know anyone involved, we with can't it, all be Bluey. We can't all. Well, we, that's I, what I was trying to play was Bluey, no. and she was she was like, "No, other puppies." Um, you've also got a little film called A Life Less Ordinary. Oh yeah, we talked about that one, and then yeah, <laughs> LA, LA Confidential, uh, well, bringing up well, the rear okay. has been out for yeah, a couple months. Mm-hmm. But LA Confidential, look, Griff, it's been out for a couple of months. It's made twenty nine million dollars, and it's going to leg it out to sixty four because of the Oscar. You know, yeah. Yeah. Bounce like yeah. afterwards. Wild. So that's cool. Oh, also, Boogie Nights is like new and expanding in theaters. That's been out for a couple weeks and is like a hundred screens. Wow. Ooh. So that's kind of cool. So like you could go see Boogie Nights. Very I mean, there's cool. so many good movies in theaters right now. It is it's crazy. Just a variety, a real variety. A it real is. variety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, we're done. We're, we we gotta stop blast. wasting Janet's time. Come yeah. on. <laughs> we gotta. This has been so much fun. Okay, good. Janet, you're the best. Is there anything you want to plug? Boo! I don't know. When does this come out? I know you guys record a little bit far out, don't you? That's a good question. This comes out on uh, February 5th, so not that far away. So I just want to plug, hoping hoping you all had a great time at Sketchfest, which hey. is mm-hmm. now closed as of... I guess maybe today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Future Me is very, very tired indeed. Uh, but mm-hmm. Future Me enjoyed seeing at least one of the gentlemen here on this podcast. I, w- I will um, be there. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be great. Looking forward to seeing you. Yeah. Uh, if you're a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender, I do a very fun podcast for Nickelodeon iHeart with uh, Dante Bosco. It is not just a rewatch podcast, but it does include conversations about episodes and a bunch of other stuff called Braving the Elements. Um, and we'll leave it at that. I watched all of Avatar and Korra in lockdown mm-hmm. in 2020. It was a great. It was a great help to to me. Yeah, and my those wife. were those, we those shows. They they came out on Netflix at a really good time for they where sure everyone's did. emotional frailty was. Yeah. Uh, in yes. terms of needing something like that, so I mean, I'm glad, I'm I glad definitely told my way. wife like today. She was like, "Who's what's the podcast today?" I said, "We're in th- I don't even need to tell you about the movie. Don't worry about it." But Korra is <laughs> on it, and she was like, "Korra," and so we were very. Ah, uh, tell her I said hi. Um, I will. 
Um, but yes, thank you for coming on, Janet. Oh my God, I I'm absolutely gonna invite myself back. You okay. you will you will come back and we we will make good. We will give you. No, <laughs> we always feel so bad when we want give to talk a bad about movie. It's just fun. It's just as fun talking about stinkers, uh, especially when it's like you know someone you care about and you whose work you love and a bunch of people you like. It's yes. you know there's a lot to talk about. So. Yes. Yes. This is great. Yes. And this is, this is kind of the definition of a movie that's more fun to talk about than to watch. Talking to watch. about Absolutely. it is really fun. Absolutely. Couldn't yeah. agree more. Uh, and I hope you all liked listening to it. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to Alex Barron, AJ McKeon for our editing, JJ Birch for our research, Joe Bone, Pat Reynolds for our artwork, Lane Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon, Blank Check special features, where we do franchise commentaries. We are, of course, finishing up. We just finished up the Katsi trilogy. Uh, February right. bonus. We haven't quite figured out at this moment. But coming up mm. next, Men in Black, long demanded. That's right. We're doing the four Men in Black films and commentaries starting February 21st with uh, the original Men in Black, the best movie ever made. Yep. Number and one. Three other movies. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then three other movies that <laughs> happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, tune in next week for The Beach. That's right. We're going to The Beach. Yeah. We won't tell you where it is, though. It's a secret. <laughs> nope, it's it's in a secret place. Don't uh, get hurt. Do uh, not get hurt on the beach. Look after your head chops off. Yes. Yep. Uh, and as always, Dan Hadea is a chameleon. Mm-hmm.